And then once I started learning about sleep and what happens while you sleep, I'm like, holy crap, this could literally explain every single symptom. So he literally throws everything he has in the trash, um, gets on a plane, goes down to Peru, lives with a shaman, literally nude in the Amazon for 30 days. We know how crooked the whole medical system is now. Yeah, COVID, yeah, yeah. COVID has unveiled anyone, uh, if anyone ever had any doubts. Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Good Trip Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Pella. You already know this is a series of incredible conversations with incredible guests from the fields of entertainment, medicine, business, and beyond, each with their own unique perspectives and experiences regarding psychedelic, psychedelic medicines, both for personal use and therapeutic medicinal use. And the man I am talking to today sure knows about both, Dr. Kirk Parsley. The founder of Doc Parsley's Sleep Remedy is a former Navy SEAL who I met down in San Diego at the VETS event in 2022. Uh, Kirk Parsley worked with a lot of Navy SEALs who had suffered traumatic brain injuries and were going through a lot of PTSD-style symptoms. Um, and he identified a, a couple different through lines with the folks he was working with, one of which was that they were all taking high amounts of Ambien. If not all of them, many or most of them were taking a lot of Ambien. And that led him down the path of sleep research that led to his launch of Doc Parsley's Sleep Remedy, Sleep Aid uh, Medicines and Supplements. And he also uh, got into really amazing detail on the inner workings of the brain and the neuroplasticity of the brain and how psychedelics can not only improve your sleep, but can also improve and fix uh, and reconnect a lot of the neurological pathways in your brain. And if that all sounds like crazy stuff that you've never heard of before, you're about to learn a whole lot of lessons in this episode. And if all that stuff you already know about, I guarantee you're going to learn a whole lot more because this man is full of knowledge. Okay. I loved talking to him. I, I have such a deep respect for his work and the intentions that he has uh, behind his work and behind working with all the Navy SEALs that he did and what he's doing now to help improve people's lives with his own brand and his own line of product. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Doc Parsley's Sleep Remedy. Now, I travel across the country doing stand-up shows at night on all different sides of America, the East Coast, the West Coast, the Middle West, Middle East, all the, all, all the different places. So my body is always trying to get used to different time zones, which means my rest and my recovery and my sleep is constantly being affected. That's why I bring Doc Parsley's Sleep Remedy with me on the road because it helps me ease into sleep with its natural ingredients, including L-tryptophan, magnesium, and other key compounds that can help your body ease into a relaxed state and assist in you waking up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the next day. It comes in teabag form or capsule form. So if you don't like drinking a bunch of water late at night, get the capsules and cruise over to docparsley.com brent to learn more about my favorite sleep supplement and get a discount on your order. And this episode of the podcast also brought to you by Odyssey. Odyssey is a sparkling energy drink with 85 milligrams of caffeine from green tea. That's roughly the same amount of caffeine that you get in a cup of coffee. However, in my own personal experience, the caffeine from green tea that's put into these Odyssey sparkling elixir tonics 
does not give me the jitters and, and the anxiety that caffeine usually does when I'm chugging a bunch of coffee. Uh, Odyssey is also made with 2,500 milligrams of mushrooms, not magic mushrooms, not yet anyways, as you might find out when I talk to the CEO of Odyssey, Scott Froman, a little bit later in the Good Trip podcast series. Uh, this energy drink has lion's mane and cordyceps designed specifically to free your mind, stimulate your mind, and give you a smooth energy that can last you through the day. You can find Odyssey in a whole bunch of stores if you head to odysseyelixir.com. Also check out Amazon because they ship through Amazon. So you can get Odyssey delivered directly to your door. Incorporate Odyssey into your life to get a swift boost of energy and your life might just become an Odyssey. How fun is that? So Without further ado, everybody, please enjoy this uninterrupted trip with Doc Kirk Parsley. So yeah. h- how do you know the vets, folks? So you you knew, did you know Marcus from the SEALs? No, I didn't know Marcus, uh, but one of my, my, my closest friends from the SEAL teams, uh, so a guy I went through training with, he's my roommate all through, uh, all through SEAL training, um, he worked with Marcus very closely. So he was a he was a dev group with Marcus, which mm-hmm. is like our super seals squad, right? Um, and my buddy was like, you know, really really struggling and like having like you know just a, a terrible time, uh, and uh, he was suicidal. And um, his wife his wife actually called me, not him, because he's a typical dude that's not going to call for help mm-hmm. even. Um, and uh, and you know, and, he, and he'd been in like the, you know, the, the psychological, psychiatric health program of the military and the VA for, you know, six or seven years already. Like he'd done all the stuff. Like he, yeah. he'd, he'd done the cellulite ganglion block. He'd done transcranial magnets. He'd done like all the things that are trans supposed... Transcranial magnets? Yeah. We, yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> oh my God. All yeah. right. Bookmark uh, that. Yeah. yeah. So, so he, he'd done, like he's done all the stuff, taking all the pharmaceuticals and, and he wasn't, he, he wasn't emotional. He wasn't erratic. He was just like, Hey, I've written down these 37 reasons why it'd be better if I was dead. And just very matter of fact, I was going through them. And just coincidentally, a few months before, uh, Martin Polanco, and if you've heard him, him, he, he's one of the big Ibogaine doctors and he, he was kind of the primary one at the time. And he had a clinic down in, uh, Tijuana, um, and it was called Crossroads. Um, and, uh, you know, I think Eric Clapton had kind of made it famous because he, that's where he went after his son, his son had died and he went down there to do I again and felt, you know, had a big, uh, relief from it. So, um, but they had come to me to talk to me about, um, opiate addiction mm-hmm. because I began is really good for opiate addiction. Uh, it's good for all addictions. And if we get into the neurophysiology of what we know about, I began, it, it makes sense why it helps, uh, people with, brain damage and people with so anyway um you know i just listened to my buddy i talked to him for like hours mm-hmm. it, was, it was coming on morning you know i went over his house maybe around midnight and like the sun's coming up and we're still talking and i'm like well look you're gonna kill yourself anyway um i've been reading about this stuff but these guys had come up to talk to me about this opiate addiction i'm like i actually don't have a lot of that in the seal teams like that that's probably it's surprising not a lot most, of opiate addictions no. yeah no so like the military in general has a lot of that from you know the chronic pain and all that but i just i didn't deal with a lot of it um and if guys were addicted to it i didn't know about it and um and, and you know and, and, and it, like active duty seals it's hard for them to be addicted to anything because 
because you're almost, active duty. Almost, yeah, they're active, and yeah. almost and almost anything that they take is in their medical record, and almost anything that right. they take that affects their brain or cognition or mood or anything like that is disqualifying. So, like, we just didn't have a whole lot of it. But he did say that there was some sort of cutting edge, newer stuff where they're looking at it for PTSD. Um, and PTSD, I you know whether that's a real thing or um, a mis, you know, misnomer. Uh, it, it's just a conglomeration of symptoms, right? And I think it has a lot to do with the brain damage um, from, like, from the job itself, the brain damage. And uh, so I was like, you know, I have read about this. A few people have died from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it can cause some arrhythmias, uh, you know, something called the QT interval. It can it cause changes in that, and you can get a lifelong in- arrhythmia from Ibogaine use. And, and, you know, some people have died. And I'm like, and usually anytime I, I would, come across any kind of new treatment for the guys because um, I like even after I got out I still kept treating like all like any seal who would call me and all the retired seals and all that stuff um, and so any kind of new modality came out like transcranial magnet or something mm-hmm. I'd be like well I'm going to go try that first and see if I think this guy's a quack and like see what the experience is like and whatever before I'd refer anybody and so I wanted to do the Ibogaine myself first mm-hmm. but this just got thrust upon me I'm like well you're going to kill yourself anyway this might kill you, but hey, I mean, <laughs> what would be the difference, right? Instead of you shooting sure. yourself tonight, like you die like uh, tomorrow under the influence of drug. Um, and uh, so anyway, he, he agreed to it, um, which actually surprised me knowing him. Uh, and so like we rented out the whole clinic because he, he wouldn't let anybody else be there. And so it was a six bed facility and we rented out the whole thing. And I knew one SEAL uh, who was actually at the event. I don't know if you met him, uh, McCall Vega. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's out here. Uh, he, he's like the producer of Call of Duty now or something. Oh, good like, for him. He's doing some cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and he was like my darkest patient ever in, in medicine. Like if anybody was going to come in my office and murder suicide, it was like this this guy, right? Sure. And he was just dark. And he uh, like he had a, he had a ton of brain damage. He had a ton of just bad from his days in active duty yeah and this was he was my patient while we while he was active right so were you when you were in the seals were you in medicine no so no so i was actually a high school dropout and i i dropped out to join the navy oh no way to get myself make sure you know Uh reduce my risk of going to prison really you know because like i i didn't i didn't behave well when i was young and uh when I heard about the SEAL training saying it's supposed to be the toughest training in the world, I didn't know what a SEAL did. I knew that the BUDS was like this really hard training. I'd you seen, just kind of knew I, there were I'd, a bunch I'd, of badasses? I'd seen a video of the training. Yeah. On this, this, uh, it's like a news documentary show, like uh, 60 Minutes, but it's called 48 Hours. Uh-huh. And so they covered it for 48 hours. They covered Hell Week for 48 hours. And they're like, this is the toughest training in the world. I'm like, I'm going to go do the toughest training in the world. And that's why I signed up. So I went to the Navy wow. recruiter and I'm like, hey, can I get in? And he's like, uh, you know, so we started negotiating all of it and he's like, well, you're really going to need a high school degree. And I'm like, well, yeah, I've been in high school four years, but I'm still a couple of years from graduating. Were you at 18 least. at this time? I was 17, okay. uh, but my mom signed off. And so I joined, uh, and then, you know, left a few months later. Uh, it was a little different then. you had to go through a different, you know, you went through the regular Navy boot camp, then you had to go get some sort of job training because, um, <clears throat> Most people fail, obviously, so you have to have a job to go to when you fail. Okay. Um, and uh, and so I, I I did all that, and then I went to went to Buds. Um, but anyway, uh, this guy, um, uh, McCall, he had he had been through all of this stuff as well, and and he had well, I didn't finish that. So anyway, I was a SEAL, and then I left. I got out of the Navy completely. Fell in love with a girl from San Diego. 
you know, got married, started having kids, started college. I had to start junior college because I didn't mm-hmm. have a high school diploma. And then uh, did, really, did, did really well. And I was uh, thinking I might be a physical therapist or an athletic trainer or something. And I was working at San Diego Sports Medicine Center. And I got to know a bunch of the doctors. And I'm like, you should go to medical school. And I'm like, whoa, pump the brakes. They're sparky. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. like I... I'm a high school dropout. I'm not like, a school guy. Like medical school's not, and they're like, yeah, you can, you. And so uh, the head doctor there, Lee Rice, comes out and he says, he, he just hear it, overhears the conversation. He's like, so Kirk, the question isn't, can you get into medical school? The question is, would you go if you could get in? I was like, of course. And he's like, well, then you kind of have to try, don't you? And I was like, good point. Wow, so, yeah. Uh, so then I, when I was applying for medical school, I found out that, military had its own medical school and I didn't know that and so I looked in that and they'll pay me to go to medical school and I was already married had a kid had another kid on the way I'm like well so my wife doesn't have to work I can support my family while I'm going to medical school and I'll I know I'll get back to the SEAL teams and be able to go give back to the community right and Mm -hmm. so so that's what I did and then so I ended up being the doctor um, at the SEAL teams my last almost four years uh, in the Navy and then uh this guy McCall comes in and he's, you know, he damaged long before I met him. Uh, and he had switched coast and he was over and he was just dark, 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 dark. Just, uh, he's just a scary, intimidating guy. Right? And, um, and, uh, anyway, so he, he gets out of the Navy after years of fighting over medical qualifications and like what they call a med board, which is like forcing you out of the military because you're not medically qualified versus mm-hmm. just retiring and all this long saga mm-hmm. uh he actually ended up having a stimulant induced heart attack because you know they're giving him so many drugs to get him to sleep Damn. and then they had to give him so many stimulants like adderall and all yeah. this stuff during the day and so um so he gets out and he's like i'm not dying from these drugs if i'm going to die from what's wrong with me i'm going to die from what's wrong with me so he literally throws everything he has in the trash um gets on a plane, goes down to Peru, lives with a shaman, literally nude in the Amazon How did he for do, 30 days. Was the, were, who was I, the inspiration I, I, for him to I do have, that? I have no idea. Really? I, I have no idea. So, so he took it upon himself? Yeah, he took this upon himself. I knew nothing about psychedelics, and that's the whole point of this. Okay. And, and so, um, so anyway, he goes down to Peru, does kundalini yoga like six to eight hours a day. Yeah. Does ayahuasca, I think, every other night or every third night or something. Um, heals himself, comes back. Uh, there's a fundraiser that we do every year in uh, San Diego, Dick's Last Resort. And, uh, you know, I'm a doctor, you know, I've been the doctor for like a couple of thousand seals. So guys come up to me and talk to me all the time. And it takes me a while to figure out who they are often. Like, yeah. you know, like, eh. but this guy had been in my office for hundreds of, hundreds of hours. Like he just came and sat and just talked and said dark mm. things. And I was afraid mm. to ask him to leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, all right, well, let's talk. Yeah. And, uh, and anyway, so he just threw everything away, went down there, has this transformation. He comes and sits across the table this close to me um, at Dick's Last Resort and starts talking to me. And I'm like, hmm, this guy's kind of familiar, but who is he? Who is he? Who is he? And so think about it. It's been like six, maybe it's been nine months since I've seen him. But somebody I'd spent hundreds of hours with yeah. this far apart, right? Yeah. And I can't pick up on who he is. And I'm like, jeez. I'm like, oh, okay. So keep about 20 minutes into it, he said something. And I'm like hooch he's like who'd you think i was i was like i don't know wow you still don't look like you yeah yeah. i mean everything was different you transformed fully completely transformed i can show you i actually he was you know he was at vets as well and um 
and I have pictures of he and I together. And then uh, he did a podcast recently and they posted a picture of him like when he was a Before, seal. yeah. And so everybody I've told the story to, I sent them a picture of him yeah from back then I'm yeah like, can you see why i don't recognize that's him? wild you can't tell so like, was this the first time you had been introduced to somebody who had a transformational yeah. experience so with he, psychedelics so he tells me about this ayahuasca stuff i don't even know what the hell that is right? yeah I'm yeah like, ayahuasca what's this and so he tells me the story and it sounds crazy to me but i'm like it obviously works so in the back of my mind i'm thinking well maybe so then when these people come and talk to me these two doctors from mexico come up and talk to me about ibogaine i'm like well, you know, I did have this guy who did, and I asked him, I was like, how's this compared to ayahuasca? And they're like, well, super similar, but like, this is just a, a harsher kind of harsher, more direct, uh, line of, they, you know, they call it the, the father of, of psychedelics and ayahuasca is the mother, the mother right? Yeah. right? So it's a, it's a, just a harsher lesson, harsher lesson, but, um, you know, pharmacologically it turns out to be more, much more interesting for different ways, but, or for different reasons. But anyway, um, so I'm like, well, maybe. And, and so I called him and I'm like, Hey, McCall, I, I got a buddy and I can't tell you who he is. He didn't want anybody to know. Uh, but we're going down and we're doing this thing called Ibogaine. And he's like, yeah, I know what that is. And I'm like, okay, you're the only guy I know who's ever done this. I can like, mm-hmm. so would you mind coming down with us? Mm. And so he caught the train from LA. <clears throat> Another crazy story. My buddy's like, he's just like a hard brooding guy. And, and every, a lot of people say he's like the scariest seal alive. Like you, you, you just see him and everybody's afraid of him. He looks like the 18 year old kid. I know like to me, I can't right, see it. It's right, like, right. You know, like when I look at my 300 pound son, I don't think yeah. of him as a big guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, Cause yeah. I'm like, whatever, it's my little kid. Right. Um, but, uh, so anyway, he, you know, like he's just, he's not accepting. He's sitting there, he's, you know, frumping mean, you know, mean mugging. And he's like, who's this guy again? And I'm like, I'm like, well, I can't remember his, his real name, but he, you know, he changed his name to McCall because he's uh, he's, in, he's in Hollywood now and they all have stage names or whatever. And and so when he gets in the car, I'm like, hey, McCall, what, what's your real name again? And he's like, that is my real name. Like, I changed it. Like, I'm like, all right, all right, so <laughs> what, like what, did you, what was your name before you changed it? And, mm-hmm. um, so he tells us and then he goes, do you know why I changed my name, right? And I was like, because you're an actor and they all do that. And he's like, no, no, no. I said it, it was in tribute to my swim buddy and buds who died. Um, oh, he died in combat overseas and he, uh, his name was Michael Koch and he combined those two to McCall. Mm. Well, my, my buddy at that point like, looks up bright eyed and he goes, I repatriated McCall. So like when somebody dies, like somebody just escorts their body back and right. all the way back to their family and all the services. And that's and called all. repatriating. Yeah. And yeah. so like, he's like, I, I escorted him back. And wow. so then those two were like, Dong! And wow. Like, and what are the odds of that? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, that's, and this that, is on that trip. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so now he's fully accepting of this guy. Right. Right. And I'm like, there's no chance that's a coincidence. I mean, there's zero, like mathematically yeah. that yeah. doesn't work. There's yeah. no yeah. chance that's, that's a coincidence. That's right? insane. Right. And so, uh, yeah, so um, so he goes down there and he just has this. I mean, I'll tell you, like I w- I was a nervous wreck because I I'm like if this my, is your first time going down yeah, there to try it, yeah, right, yeah. And I'm like, if my if my buddy died, it's like right here in front of me, like I mean, hell of my medical license and all that. That's right, obviously, right, right. That's obviously gone. Yeah. But Jesus, like, what's it? You know, like this is scary for me too. And uh, he goes down there and he just has this amazing, amazing transformation. I could talk about it for hours. Um, but he transformed so much when we get back to my house and my driveway was pretty long. It's like 
100, 100 yards long, 150 yards long maybe. And we get out of the car and my wife's standing at the front door and she starts bawling. Tears, I'm like, watching, I'm like, what's, what's happened? Yeah. <laughs> like something. She goes to my buddy and she hugs him. And she's like, what happened? What happened to you? You look 20 years younger. <laughs> and I was like, wow. You know, cause I like, I was there for it and I like, he felt different to me and we yeah, talked yeah, a lot yeah. and we giggled and we laughed and we remembered old times and he's just not that dude, right? Yeah. He's not that guy that, you know, that you have the type of things. And he was remembering stuff I couldn't remember from like when we were young and hung out together. And, um, yeah. And so anyway, um, he has a great transformation and, uh, he's like, you know, I have some buddies who really need to do this. And I'm like, well, let's figure it out. And so like his buddy that he figured was in the most distress that he needed it the fastest was Marcus. Mm-hmm. And so Marcus, we got Marcus treatment and, uh, and I actually wasn't there for that, but my buddy who had gotten treatment was there with him for that. And then, um, you know, Marcus and Amber were like this transformation. Yeah. Like we know, we know all these people who need it. And so they start trying to get their friends treatment and then, it's, you know, and I'm like helping coordinate with all this and it's, but it's just like a total, juggling act yeah there's no system involved right right um and you know and and we're just getting funding from various places you know it's like uh i think for marx's we did like a go fund me like me and me and my girlfriend did a go fund me thing and uh, cool whatever um and uh yeah and so yeah he he gets he gets back and Amber's like, well, we got to get all these people treated. And then they started doing that. And then they said, well, like, why don't we figure out a pathway for this? And then they came up with the idea of getting a, you know, doing a non for profit. And then they were working with the same doctor that, you know, that I mentioned at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, Martine. And so, um, and that, that's how the pathway started. And then they, they went that way for a couple hundred uh, people, I think over. A yeah. They're doing years. great. And they're now, crushing. And then, yeah. Now they, now they've gotten, smart and they have lobbyists you know yeah. they're working on dc and all that stuff and now they have stanford researchers involved to you know just obviously and they work. got maps yeah. support and yeah. everything and that's really cool so much more credible yeah. now yeah so what take me back to the seals dude yeah when you you dropped out of high school to go into the seals that's insane yeah that's a crazy thing did you play sports at all in high school yeah what did you play football football ran track uh did some boxing did some martial arts okay cool yeah. so you were you were ready to be physical yeah i mean i i was super physical my whole life like, yeah I'd, like and that's why i that's why I was just bad at school because I, like, I just wanted to climb things and go try to lift heavy things. Yeah, and, like, punch, maybe, people. punch people, punch yeah. people, wrestle, <laughs> and, like, yeah, whatever. Just like I, I wanted to go do right. see, see if I could jump my bike over that yeah. know, ditch or whatever. Like, so when it, you when you joined the seals, uh, I know Marcus was a breacher. Yeah. Did you have a specific position during yeah, your yeah, active so, years? So a, a lot of stuff has shifted like post 9-11, like the way the teams are organized and how mm-hmm. big the units are. And, and they have a lot of support staff now. Like we didn't have support staff when I was uh, when I was going through. And so it's, it's a lot different now. But um, back then we had 16-man platoons, and uh, we, which we, we broke into, into – um, into two, I guess, two firing squads, which were eight, eight men each. And then, um, and then, so each one had an automatic weapons guy. So that you carried the M60s, like the heavy machine gun. Um, and then because we didn't have support staff, like we had, like we had a, a radio man in our platoon, like everybody had to be able to use the radio. Everybody had to know how to do everything. Right. But there was one guy in the platoon who was responsible for all of our radios and all of our crypto and all that stuff. And there was a guy who was responsible for all our dive gear and right. And so he was oh, our, wow. di- our dive rep is what we call him. Yeah. So I was what's called the first Lieutenant rep. So I, 
maintained all the vehicles and boats and mm-hmm. ladders and climbing equipment and like all like all kind of the lug wrench the you know cool. the big the big strong guy carries the heavy machine gun and yeah, usually, yeah. usually does the diesel mechanic stuff too right yeah so it's kind yeah. of kind of uh, I guess cliche. I'm a cliche. You're, cliche. I'm a, I'm a walking cliche. <laughs> You're working out, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's where you got the yeah, shoulders yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So when you when you and then when you went into medical, you went to medical school after SEALs. Yeah. And yeah. Did, so did, so I I got out in '94 and I uh, did two years in junior college mm-hmm. to you know to make up and then I, that was a transfer agreement to UCSD. It was like one program. And then I went to UCSD, um, and I again I majored in neuropsychology. Neuropsychology. Um, yeah. What what attracted you to that um, over other fields? Well, one I just thought, uh, you know, if for any reason I don't get into medical school, I don't have any interest in having a biology degree. And like all pre med people are right. bio, bio degree. It's like, well, what are you gonna do? You can go work in a lab somewhere. It's like you know, a biology degree really commits you to like getting more degrees of some sort, right. Mm, or or mm-hmm. just being a researcher or something. And so, um, I said, well, like I'll, I'll do something where I can, like, I was always, I was always, always interested in psychology, you know, and like yeah. personal psychology to make myself better. And that's what, how I got interested in nutrition. And that's how I got interested in lifting weights and like biomechanics and everything was just to make myself better. And I had like a, I had, you know, a really shitty a really shitty childhood and I really mm-hmm. and I have a really shitty family and like a lot of a lot of criminals a lot of bad people in my family and um you know I was listening to you know, like Tony Robbins 30 day program when I was like 16 years old you know and uh, yeah you know and so as I just thought well you know it's a good field to kind of make myself better in, and then there you know there'd be something I'd be more interested in that than other than working in a laboratory with pipettes and right, right, drilling right. holes in mice, his brains and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so as you, as you got further into neuropsychology, <laughs> did you, what, what were your, what were the first things that really made you, um, go down the sleep health path? Yeah, Was that so, one of the first? No. So that the, the interesting thing is like, I'm, I'm a mechanic, like by nature, okay. like I'm a super mechanical guy. Just, I, mean, I grew up in a really blue collar family and like, that was all my summer jobs were construction and plumbing and like, whatever. And I worked on cars. I used to like people flip houses. I used to do that with cars. So I'd go around to like people who had old junkers in their front, front yard and be like, Hey man, how much you went for that car? And then yeah. like, and like, Hey, you get it out of here. It's free. Right. And then I'd, you know, put, Flip it for a grand yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I'll sure. put five hundred bucks into it and sell it for fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, and yeah. See that, and so, um, and so I'd always been really mechanical, um, and uh, where was I going with that? Where, the uh, the path. I I want to know how when you went into neuropsychology. Oh right, right, school. right. Yeah. So so when I went into medical school. Yeah. Um, like I said, I worked at I worked at San Diego Sports Medicine Center the whole time I was in college, and I was I worked as a physical therapy assistant, and so. Um, I was really into sports medicine, but ortho is like a really mechanical version of sports medicine, right? Like yeah. I'm using the same damn, you know, it's like I'm using drills and screwdrivers and so and like all the same stuff I already know how to use. And like yeah. that, that really, uh, and I liked the definitive nature of ortho. It's like broken, you fix it, right? Right. Like right, this is broke, right. I'm gonna put it back together, put some screws in. There's a way in. to fix it's it. It's done. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, and it's not like, you know, psychiatric diseases like well we're going to balance this <laughs> for the next 60 years right um and so i was really attracted to that and that was my path that's what i was planning on doing with what the way the navy works is they go uh well you can do your first year residency but then you have to go out and and do it you know what, what what they call a fleet tour so you have to go out and either go on a ship or if you go to flight school then you can go 
work with a flight wing and you can be what's called a flight surgeon mm -hmm. or you can go to dive school and then you can go work with divers. Well, of course the SEAL teams would have a dive medical officer. So I went through that training and the expectation of going back to the, the SEAL teams, um, that job wasn't available and I ended up at a submarine rescue unit right down the street. It's just, it's on Point Loma. And then, um, well, I take it back. So North Island now. Um, and, uh, and then I went to the SEAL teams as my next tour, and then I was going to go back to residency. But I got back to the SEAL teams, and SEALs are just like professional athletes, right? Yeah. The worst thing you can do is put them on a bench. And they have to be evaluated by doctors at a certain frequency. Yeah. And so they just lie. And they go and they tell the doctor everything's great. Mm -hmm. like, because mm -hmm. I'm not, they're not going to tell you if something's wrong. They're going to try to figure out a way to do it on their own. They're going to go on the internet and do some research and maybe buy some black market stuff who knows like mm -hmm. they're going to try to fix themselves because they don't want to be put on the bench that's the worst thing right. you can do that's right. their identity it's their life it's what they do that's right. who they are um but because i was a seal and they and i had i had a decent rep reputation as a seal and and i'd been there recently enough to where there were still a ton of seals there that i'd trained with and worked with um and so they trusted me and they'd come in and shut the door and go, hey man <laughs> yeah let me tell you what's really going on yeah and they started listening to all these symptoms and it was like, you know, my motivation sucks and for, you know, it's all relative. So mm -hmm. they're still a super motivated guy, but by their standards, motivation sucks. I'm really moody. I'm irritable. I can't concentrate. I walk in the room. I don't know what I'm came in. I'll leave. Mm. I come back, I leave, mm -hmm. come back, I leave my house five times every day before I can actually get me before I'm actually all on my way. Cause I get in my car for realize I forgot my badge. I go get my badge. Yeah. I really forgot. So they trusted you. You had yeah. a position where they could come in and talk freely. Yeah. yeah. Unlike, a lot of other doctors, right. maybe. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and they tell me this whole list of symptoms, which they is now called the operator sy uh, syndrome. They published a paper on it years after I did all this. Uh, I called it the seal syndrome, just because of uh, obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just it's just like this combination of symptoms, but it wasn't nothing reached the level of disease. Yeah, right. And yeah. so, uh, I was a Western trained medical physician. I knew how to recognize diagnose and treat a disease and if you have a disease right. you do this like there's books that tell me but if you don't have a disease and like oh well, i'm not performing the way i want to i'm losing muscle i'm getting weaker i'm getting fatter i'm getting slower i'm getting colder i'm getting dumber my sex drive is low i'm emotional yeah, yeah. I'm like, i can't concentrate i'm not motivated none of that requires a pill yeah, that like, the I'm, medical school right given you, and right? i'm sitting there going i don't have any idea I don't have wow. any idea. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to look into some of his alternative medicine stuff. And so I started thinking, well, maybe it's adrenal fatigue, right? Because, you know, you've heard of shell shock from yeah. other wars and whatever. And, um, you know, they, they've like every war is called PTSD, something else. Right. And, uh, and, uh, so I'm like, well, maybe it's, maybe it's that maybe some kind of, you know, it's been eight years of combat at this point, maybe it's some kind of combat fatigue thing. And so maybe it's adrenals. And so I started treating adrenals and, and that pissed off. The, like the Bureau of Medicine, Navy Medicine, all the because leadership. you were going outside of yeah, like I was, the I was doing stuff regulations I, yeah, or whatever. I, I was doing stuff outside of my scope, is what they call it. Okay, so does my, that basically mean that you're not prescribing pills? Yeah, because Western. When I hear you yeah. say you're trained in Western medicine, I automatically assume it's like, oh, you do you have this? Here's the pills, right? Pills, you're supposed pill, to take. a pill or a procedure, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like either surgery or injection or like whatever. Or a little white tablet or yeah. some sort of tablet, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I didn't have a clue, and I was just like. But uh, but the good thing was, uh, I, the seals already had become somewhat famous, and they had like this mm -hmm. celebrity status. And so, I'd watch somebody's TED talk, or I'd see someone lecture, or I'd read their book, and I'd call them, and I'd be like, "Hey, my name's Dr. Parsley. I'm the doctor for the West Coast SEAL teams. I was wondering if I could 
talk to you. I was wondering if I could come train with you. I was wondering if I yeah. could consult. So who, what were some of the things that you were watching at that time that, um, that kind of fell outside of the scope, well, as they would say? Well, yeah, so it, it, you know, it was things like uh, it was things like adrenal fatigue. It was things mm -hmm. like uh, you know, at the time, um, you know, kind of like the life extension people that that kind of branches oh, okay. into something called A four, like anti aging. Now. Yeah, almost yeah. So it's a, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of branch of medicine, they were always doing kind of the wacky, cutting edge stuff that was all about performance. And what this really was, without me ever defining it, then was performance medicine right it's like yeah they just weren't performing up to their standards right they're healthy pretty healthy fit guys right and another thing is, is i just i just shotgunned the labs right i just like well i'm just going to test for everything because i don't know what i'm looking for so yeah. i'm going to test for everything that i think could possibly be related and it was it, it was literally 98 lab markers and wow. it's like 17 vials of blood and of course the navy got pissed off at that too because that was two thousand dollars a pop and i had done it to like three. Isn't that crazy that they would get pissed off that you're trying so hard to help somebody? <laughs> yeah. Like, did that ever go through your mind? Oh, for sure. And, and, and it wasn't, this wasn't like gentle talks. I mean, it, it was like, yeah. it was like, you're shut down. We're investigating you to That's see if you've so broken crazy. the law. And what, was, what for helping people? And I'm like, I'm just every, like, everybody's getting better. Like, look, see, you yeah. right. And so, uh, and it, and when I did their labs, it's like every inflammatory marker was high. Every oxidative marker was high. Everything catabolic was high. Mm-hmm. Everything anabolic was low. Their testosterone was low. Their growth hormone was low. Their DHEA was low. Their wow. DHT was low. And I'm, their insulin sensitivity actually sucked for guys who were as fit as they were and eating as clean as they were. And I was like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. And yeah. so I didn't, so I'm I, like, I'm reading about all this stuff. Like, well, yeah, because the other thing is for whatever reason, uh, special forces guys can't use performance enhancing drugs. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't just replace their testosterone, which is what I'd want to do, right? It's right. like, well, the te your testosterone, you have the testosterone of an 80-year-old man and you're a 28-year-old SEAL, so let's give you the testosterone of a 28-year-old SEAL and see how you do, right? Yeah, yeah. But I can't do that. Um, and, and you know, the other thing is they can't be dependent upon anything. So if they're dependent upon a drug, mm. and then they go somewhere where they can't get that drug, and, like, can they do their job now, right? Mm. Or, they, or they, do they become a hazard to their mm -hmm. platoon? So um, I had a lot of restrictions on me, and I just, it just forced me into figuring it out. And so um, I don't know. I you know I'd I'd gone down like I said adrenal fatigue. I was looking for nutritional deficits. I was looking into heavy metal toxicity. I was looking into you know this shell shock thing that people maybe it's a psychiatric thing. Um, and uh, somewhere I don't know 100, 150 people into it. Uh, like the story was the exact same. I thought they were like briefing each other for a while. yeah right <laughs> like, right they'll come tell in and say tell the them same this thing over and like, over and and you know by the time the fifth guy came to my office i could have told all the rest of them their story for them yeah um and uh you know well into it uh i mean it's embarrassing to admit how far in i don't know but it was a long way into it um this guy mentioned that he took ambient every night and i was like you know it seems like it seems like that a lot of people said that i'm gonna make a note in the margin and then i just keep going on and then uh, since none of this was in their medical records, I had shadow files in my office. So I had a yeah. record for them that wasn't, yeah, your own records. wasn't technically their medical records. Sure. And I just gave it to them when I left. I'm like, hey, do with this what you want. It's supposed to go in your medical records, so you should probably do that if you want to. Right? And um, so I go back, and every single guy who's been in my office was on Ambien. And I was wow. like, oh, I wonder if that could be it. Now, again, Western-trained medical physician, I don't know anything about sleep. Yeah. I didn't have a single class on sleep. Right. I took pharmacology. I knew that Ambien was You know a, what could make you sleep. I knew I knew that right? Ambi I knew that Ambien was a GABA analog. 
What does that which mean? Which means it acts like GABA. And I'm like, what is GABA? Great. My question exactly. Okay, cool. I'm like, great. okay, well, when, I mean, I know what GABA is. It's, ga, you know, it's gamma amino butyric acid and it's okay. a neuropeptide. But I don't exactly know what it does. Like, there's something called gabapentin. We give people a neurological pain. It slows down nerve transmission. I know that. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, why, why are we giving them a GABA drug? And, uh, so then I realized, well, I need to know something about sleep to understand if this could be affecting this, right? And then once I started learning about sleep and what happens while you sleep, I'm like, holy crap, this could literally explain every single symptom. Because once you learn about Hey, what happens when I go to sleep? And, and, it, you know, and people always ask me like that, that question, like what happens when you're asleep? I'm like, well, what happens when you're awake? Mm -hmm. Everything, all the things happen when you're awake, all the things like there's a million things going on, but there's some very, uh, you know, there's some very distinct known pathways that are supposed to happen when your sleep architecture, what we call it looks normal. And the first thing you do is this, you know, you know it's a deep, is a long, a long cycle of what we call deep sleep. And that's when you've heard of this glymphatics that flushes all the waste mm -hmm. products out of your brain and it starts re restoring nutrients to your brain. But it's also when all your hormones get re-regulated, right? And so it's when your stress hormones are the lowest. Cortisol, people have heard of that. Like that's the stress hormone. The lowest your cortisol ever is is when you're in deep sleep. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally, cortisol is catabolic. So fight or flight is the most catabolic state you could be in. You're using your body as a fuel source to get out of that bad situation, right? Mm -hmm. You're eating yourself. Anabolic activity is exactly the opposite. You're taking, so like anabolic could be like taking amino acids and building proteins or like eating protein and building a muscle out of okay. that. Yeah. Catabolic would be, I'm under a lot of stress. I'm starving. My body's going to turn my muscle into amino acids to give to other cells, right? Wild. So it's the yeah. exact opposite, right? So the most anabolic time is when you're in deep sleep. That's when your testosterone is secreted. That's when your growth hormone is secreted. That's when their neuroregulation with your appetite, like your neuroregulation of appetite. Uh, that's when it the the systems that are set that are going to what we call fuel partition is going to determine what happens when you eat fat, carbohydrates, and protein. What is your body going to do with them? How likely are you to burn fat as a fuel source versus burning carbohydrates? All that's set while mm -hmm. you're asleep. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, okay. Well, that could explain the low testosterone. That could explain the low growth hormone. That could, right? And and then you go through REM sleep. Like you come out of that deep sleep, you do a little bit of REM. And the first sleep cycle is almost all deep. The last cycle right before you wake up is almost all REM. So it goes progressively less deep, more REM throughout the night. Mm -hmm. Well, REM sleep, that's when you're actually learning, right? So anything you learn today, you don't actually know. And if you never went to sleep, you'd forget literally everything I said. Today. So that yeah. REM cycle helps you like internalize and cement it. Yeah. So in your brain? What, what it does is it forms neuro, new neurological pathways. It forms durable pathways. So there's something, if, if you filled your head with superfluous crap and your brain figures out it, it's superfluous and that's kind of what dreams are about. A lot of it's rehearsal of what you've seen and done during the day. And you'll trim off what's called budding, like these little new kind of pathways that are forming and just like get rid of those let's make these really durable right mm. and so we're going to make we're going to strengthen the these connections to this new bit of information and then the more that you do now you have so many different ways of coming at that information that's when you know something that's when you mm. actually know it. Okay. that's when you can think that's about when it. you retain knowledge yeah and you can think about it creatively right because okay. you can come at it from all these different angles you can associate it with stuff that no one like you didn't learn like when somebody taught you this and this and 
you you know, you know you didn't know any associations or maybe you knew one association then yeah you can think of 50 different ones once you really know like well that can affect us and it could go around and now you know this information it's also when you emotionally categorize so if you have a fight with your spouse about dirty dishes in the sink how long should that last in your brain like until the fight's over right like yeah. as, soon yeah. as, you, as soon as you walk out of the room it's like whatever like that's nothing right but if you don't sleep, if you don't sleep well, if you have poor quality sleep and you don't get good REM sleep, you don't emotionally categorize that right. And so that could still be like a huge trigger. And then the next time you see a dirty dish and it's like, and now you're all aggro about something that's meaningless. So we think that this is what a lot of PTSD is because PTSD very often is very traumatic, obviously. Mm-hmm. It can be physically traumatic as well. And then you know, things interfere with your sleep. And so now you're not sleeping well. And so something emotional already happened. Something yeah. bad happened. You saw your butt, you, know, you saw your buddy get shot. You said you got in a bad car wreck, you know, like whatever, like something traumatic has happened yeah. and you don't emotion, you don't categorize that right. And now it's more important to you. And now it's associated with more things. And now you because get, you're getting crappy sleep, because you're getting crappy. Does sleep. It, when, when all these guys were taking Ambien, does Ambien allow you to reach that REM cycle or does it interfere with that man you're you're a smart guy i'm trying like this is like (laughs) like that's a nice because if these guys have all these problems but they're taking ambient that's a nice little underhand t-ball hit all right all right so uh yeah so we know how crooked the whole medical system is now yeah yeah yeah. covid has unveiled anyone uh if anyone ever had any doubts it's unveiled that how crooked everything is so when the farm when pharma applies for uh, approval of a drug pharma does the research pharma owns the research mm. and then they give the fda what they want to and they say well this proves our case here and they have all this stuff that that doesn't prove that their, proves case. their case is wrong right, right? And they don't share that <laughs> they, don't they have, get to choose they get to choose the, uh, can the fbi request all that or the, uh, sorry not fbi fda <laughs> what they they they're like there's some push and pull but it's but not there's much probably some not much collusion because, because, because well whatever. the fda is funded by pharma right, right? Exactly. So that's where yeah. the budget comes from yeah. right a lot of people don't know this the the application fee for the pfizer vaccine is 3.5 billion dollars mm. pay us 3.5 billion dollars and we'll let you know if we're gonna mm-hmm. approve your drug or not right sure um all right so um but somebody files a lawsuit and they go to court and now you start seeing now you have to now you have to start pumping out all the research in court and so now mm-hmm. everything you know now you pull you know pull up the dress and pull on the knickers like everything right now every, we see it's it on all. full display right so that had just happened with ambien it just happened like a year before all this happened right before i ran into this so i got to find out what really happens with ambien because before it was like it's just totally safe drug it's non-addictive you take it right. you go to, you sleep, go to sleep you feel it's great the same type and, of sleep and as... you're just going to feel great and it's the best thing out there so and they, and that's why all the seals were taking it because like because they, they thought it was just the same type of sleep they, they would get if they could sleep normally yeah and they thought it was completely benign like right. they wouldn't they wouldn't give every seal an antidepressant they wouldn't give every seal like anything but this was just like Oh, yeah, it's like Benadryl or something. All right? like Whatever. It's like over the counter here. Just like take it. Right. And so like 85% of the SEALs were taking Ambien to some degree. And a lot of them took it every single night. And if you know SEALs, if one's good, two's probably better. Three's probably fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you're superhuman, mm-hmm. so you probably need three. Mm-hmm. So they're taking way more than they should. Damn. And, you know, that, and it doesn't work. Um, and so at some level, they feel like it doesn't work. And so then they're chasing it down with cocktails and like taking, you know, you know, two or three cocktails and their three ambient and as they build up a bit of a tolerance maybe <laughs> and yeah. then and then they go lay in bed 
Um, and then they wake up at three in the morning, four in the morning, and they can't get back to sleep. So like, well, I'm gonna go to work and just work out really hard and not take any breaks and not rest and not take a nap. And then I'll come home and I'll be really tired tonight. And then I'll fall back to sleep and I'll fall asleep. And then like, you know, how long mm-hmm. have you been trying that? Like four years, you know, oh, keep, man. keep going. It's, it's gonna, today's the day, today's the day, right? So it's not, that's not gonna work, right? Um, so anyway, uh, I find out because of the research that's come out, Ambien destroys about 80% of REM sleep and about 20% of deep sleep. Alcohol destroys about 80% of deep sleep and 20% of REM sleep. So once I got onto the sleep idea, I was like, I should do some sleep studies on these guys and see every single seal I studied. I had a, had a sleep study done on 99.9% or 99.1% to 99.9% stage two sleep, which we consider transitional sleep. So it's not REM and it's not deep. Mm. It's the transition in between. Um, so when you know enough about sleep, it's hard to believe that they even survived that, honestly. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how that... I don't That's know. what their sleeping status was when you studied them? Yep. Is so, that on Ambien so or that's, no? Yeah, that's them using their Ambien and alcohol. Okay. I'd like, do whatever you always do. And oh, go, okay. Go and you would study study. that. Right. Yeah. So then pretty quickly, I started reading the research and I'm like, we got to get everybody off Ambien and we got to get everybody to quit drinking so much. Like, I'm not going to try to tell SEALs not to drink, but like, we're, I'm going to educate them on... This is what could probably happen. Yeah. And of course, what motivates them is performance. And so I could talk to them about growth hormone and testosterone, like how all of that's regulated while you're asleep. And if you have the testosterone of a 12 year old girl, it's because you're not releasing it when Mm -hmm. you're asleep and you should be releasing it during sleep. And if you're drinking alcohol, you're messing with that. And if you're taking Ambien, you're messing with that. And like, and you complaining about your motivation, you're complaining about your concentration and you're complaining about like all these cognitive things and memory and well, that's you're losing that from the REM sleep. So if you're going to do that, like you're going to keep having those symptoms and they could all identify with it. And so literally change the culture. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then, and, and I'm not exaggerating. This is a literal statement. I got laughed out of the leadership offices when I told them this, like our guys testosterone is low because they're not sleeping. <laughs> okay, doc. Yeah. Wow. You're, like you're like, we got a special one here and they thought I was the dumbest guy on the planet. Uh, and nobody was talking about this. Like, every, like in the last you know, ten years, this has popped up, and like sleep, re, sleep, sleep experts are everywhere now. They've been talking about this, uh, um, but there was nothing. I mean, it, uh, like, I it, if it existed, I couldn't find it, and like I, I figured this stuff out as I was going along. And yeah, and I had some great mentors who were, who were helping me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just started. I'm like, well, we got to get everybody off of Ambien. So I can't say just suck it up, Buttercup. Like. Just go home and not, don't do that and sleep. Yeah. So I started doing a lot of research about okay, well, well, what makes us sleep? And then you have you know you learn about circadian rhythms and the mm-hmm. blue light and mm-hmm. like how that triggers the release of melatonin and then the melatonin triggers the release of GABA and GABA floods the blur- floods the brain with this peptide of GABA that slows down the neocortex. So if you think about it, when you're asleep, what's really the definition of being asleep? Being unconscious. No, if I knocked you out, would you be in sleep? If I, right? If you, <laughs> right? If I, punch, I guess that's not, I if, guess I if wouldn't If you be... drink a bottle of Jack and you fell sure, down, are you sure, asleep? Sure. No. Yeah. So really the best definition of sleep is lack of wakefulness, right? Which okay. is rhetorical. Um, yeah. But uh, all that really happens when you go to sleep, obviously the blue light goes down and you secrete some hormones in your brain and your brain chemistry starts changing. That GABA slows down what we call your, your neocortex, which is the part of the brain that, we think of when we think of the human brain, like the wrinkly bit. It's not like the brain stem, the mid-brain, or brain stem, where right. that sits on top of it. 
it's just that wrinkly bit and that's where our sensory is and that's where our motor is so our ability to interact with the world is in the neocortex and then the planning ability is in the prefrontal cortex it's the front mm -hmm. of it right and so that's where all of our executive skills come from. And then all of our sensory and all of our ability to interact with the world comes from the neocortex. Well, what happens when you're asleep is the neocortex quits paying attention to the world, right? That's all mm. it is. So you can still hear, you can still see, you can still smell, you can still taste, but you don't, mm -hmm. right? You're not processing it, mm -hmm. it's still happening. But I can flip on the light and wake you up, wake you up because your eyes still work, right? Yeah, and yeah. I can make a loud noise and I'll wake you up because your ears are still working. You're just not paying attention to it. So there's, there's this barrier between you and your environment. Mm -hmm. And so um, if there's a barrier between you and your environment and you can be awakened, awakened, and then you have predictable neurological changes like like the brain your brain wave patterns change in a predictable pattern and then we can say okay you're asleep yeah so i started doing research about like okay well what so what leads to that and what leads to that and what's the and, and and so well the melatonin production was huge yeah the, the melatonin is, um is uh, uh matt walker calls it is the starter pistol right it's like it's just mm -hmm. initiation it doesn't mm -hmm. make you sleep mm -hmm. it starts everything to make you sleep but mm -hmm. if you're nutritionally deficient deficient or you know, neurologically deficient in certain neuropeptides or certain neurotransmitters, or you know, your neurotransmitters have changed and your receptors to those have changed, and like you still might not be able to sleep, even though melatonin got secreted, right? Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. why melatonin isn't like the end all, end all be all. Um, and then melatonin is a hormone, so you don't want to give somebody a bunch of a hormone because then they quit producing that hormone, mm -hmm. and even if they don't quit producing it to a significant degree, the, the receptors for it go away if you give them more than their brain would actually normally have. And from the time the sun goes down until the time you wake up in the morning, it's only like six micrograms of melatonin over like an eight to 12 hour period. So if you just take a one milligram tablet and it all goes in your brain at once, like you've overdosed by 20, oh, wow. 20 fold already, right? Okay. And you see 50 milligram tablets Damn, out yeah, there. Yeah, I have melatonin in the cover that's like right. 10, yeah. Right, right, so, um, so I'm like, well, like guys should take melatonin. Mm -hmm. And then this was also around the time that vitamin D3 was really getting some notoriety for all of its benefits. And we knew that vitamin D3 deficiency impaired sleep too. So you should take vitamin D3. And then I found out, well, every vitamin, all the vitamin D3 reactions require magnesium. So we better give you magnesium. And then of course, magnesium is calming too, and a lot sedating. So that'll be good mm -hmm. for sleep. Mm -hmm. And then, well, you know, how do you make melatonin? Well, that starts with tryptophan and that's what the whole Tryptophan. So you were like you were coming up with this cocktail yes. through your research. You were picking, you were finding these different you sleep. Are elements. you sure you haven't like right? You've you've read ahead in the book so. a little bit. Yeah, All right, but so. but you 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 were that's basically what you were doing, right? You were trying to find like a, a more holistic approach and, that's, and instead and that, of ambient. And, and, and the seals called it the sleep cocktail. Hilarious. It's like Doc, okay. Doc Parsley sleep cocktail. Right? Is that what they called it? That's what they called okay, it. Okay, cool. And so it was seven different ingredients, and this was pre-Amazon. So they were going to all these different health stores all over town, and they're buying this in capsules and this in powder. and this Based in on what you were telling them. Right. Okay. And then, you know, and then they're traveling and running out of stuff, and then it was a total pain in the ass. And so once I got out, they were just haranguing me to make a product out of it. Like, come on, just just make, oh, wow. just make, yeah. a, just make, us, just make us a product so we can do this. And I'm like... I'm a doctor. Like, I don't know. Like, what do I know about this? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And so finally, I'm like, all right, I'll do it. I'm just going to take a year off of my clinic. I'm just going to take a year off. I'm going to start this supplement line for you guys. And, mm -hmm. then, and then I'm going to build this thing, and then I'll sell it to the Navy. And then, uh, like, I'm going to go back to being a doctor. Practicing, doing, yeah. Doing what I'm doing. 
And, uh, you know, that's nine years ago. Um, but, uh, so anyway, I, I make it all and I put it in one of those foil stick pouches mm-hmm. so that guys can just grab a handful of them, put them in their pocket and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they can get wet and then get hot and whatever. It doesn't mess with anything. And they mix it with water and they take it and help people sleep. And I got every, you know, but while they were in, um, you know, it was just everybody going to buy all their own stuff, but that I had great results and they were helping me figure out the dosage because I yeah. didn't know, like, you know, the research on that's crap. Like, you were doing this during your year away from practice? No, no. So this is when I'm actually in the SEAL teams. Like when, oh, I'm, wow. when okay. I'm working with them to get them off of Ambien. Yeah, yeah. We're figuring out how much of everything to take and like we fine-tuned it maybe over a year. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and so that's what everybody was taking and then it was just a handout. I gave lectures all the time. People took the handout and people just went and they bought it and like they traveled with it and then they, and then I got out and then they harangued me. Yeah. So I started the product and you're to your point, because I'm a doctor, I'm not a marketer and I don't know these things. I named it Doc Parsley Sleep Cocktail. Well, it's a great name. And I think you nailed it. Yeah. And apparently that's a terrible marketing name. Because, oh, it is? Yeah. Because a uh, cocktail gets. Oh, sleep cocktail. It, it, <laughs> it, gets, it gets blocked. The Cosby cocktail. Yeah. 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 And so it's then. The first it, thing people it, think it of. It gets blocked on all these. It gets firewalled from like all the universities. and Hilarious. From the DOD. And like. So no, I'm like, all right. Well, that wasn't a great idea. And. I had a little cocktail glass on it with a caduceus in it. And so, oh my God. So people <laughs> thought that it was actually a cocktail. And I had tons of people, civilians that bought it later yeah. that I would meet who told me they were mixing it with their cocktail. Oh no. Night. And they're like, oh my God. Yeah, I, was putting in, I put it into my martini. It's great. And it's like, it turns my martini into an apple martini. And I'm like, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> Did you? You didn't read anything, I guess. You just like bought the like, you know, because all my lectures and all my blogs were about sleep hygiene and about alcohol. And yeah, that, yeah, that. yeah. And <laughs> they just bought the product, and so I renamed it Sleep Remedy. Okay, and cool. so that's what it is. And you that's, took away the that, martini glass. Yeah, yeah. And we got rid of the we got rid of the <laughs> martini glass. And so yeah, and, that's hilarious. And, and, and so that's how that's how that all came about, and that's how I figured out that that's what was do, happening. So when I got them all off of Ambien mm-hmm. without doing anything else. Their testosterone doubled, maybe tripled. Their free testosterone would go up. Their estrogen was really high, right? And reasons we could get into if you want to. Um, and I wanted to bring, I needed to bring their estrogen down. So uh, zinc citrate can mm-hmm. do that to some degree. There's a pharmaceutical uh, called a Remedex that'll do that. It's a breast cancer drug to reduce estrogen. Completely benign, like you take one tablet a week. And, um, and so that's another thing I got in trouble for doing this. You know, oh, off, like off, off the label books, right. treatment, and then and and what the um the first launch of the uh sleep cocktail, what you said around nine years ago ish, is that when you were in the thing? Yeah, I, launch, on it? I launched it at Paleo FX in two thousand fourteen. So were you w- with Rob Wolf? Like w- when you were doing all the research to try and help guys get off Ambien? Yeah. Were you, what, where did psychedelics fold in for you? Had uh, you had experience with that? And was that no, even no, within your scope? No. So when, so when, uh, when I was helping guys to sleep, I mean, they came in my office pretty much right away. Like right when I got mm-hmm. there in 2009, I got there in the summer of 2009. So I'd say within the first few months, they started coming in with their problems and I was treating it as adrenal fatigue and maybe nutritional things and trying to help figure out how can we raise their testosterone with supplements and, you know, things like that. Um, and I, and I think I started using the Remedex then, and then I came onto the sleep idea probably 2010. And then during that year, we figured out how much, like how much of everything to take. And, and we've added, you know, we added stuff over mm-hmm. the, like the next year and I've added uh, another ingredient since I've gotten out of the Navy and all that too. Um, 
and that was, and so then I did that, uh, 11 and 12 and, um, I, I got out in January of 13. So it was like really 2011, 2012 was just me practicing there with them mm -hmm. doing performance medicine and continually getting in trouble and getting shut down and having my privileges stripped while they looked into whether or not what I was doing crazy. was crazy yeah. and all that. Um, and then I got out, went into clinical practice with the doctor who said, would you go to medical school? Like that right, guy, right, right. he had, he had a concierge practice and, nice. and I was, he wanted me to take it over from him and I was supposed to be his successor and it was going to be this beautiful thing. Didn't, didn't turn out to be what I wanted to do. But, um, so I worked, I did a year of clinical with him. They kept haranguing me and I'm like, all right, I'm going to take a year off of this because it wasn't my practice. I can always yeah. come back. Right. Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to take a year off or you know, do super minimal. And I just did consulting, which is basically what I do with the seals, but I do it for wealthy people who can afford to, for me to kind of be their health coach, right? So it's, cool. it's all performance-based stuff, mm -hmm. really. Um, and uh, so I'm like, well, I'll live off of consulting. Like I just started this started this sleep supplement with <clears throat> with my, you know, Rob Wolf and Peter Tia. I don't know if you know either one of those guys. Um, and, and like we just all threw in a little bit of money. Like we started the whole company for like a hundred thousand bucks or something. And like in the black immediately, and like, oh, that thing's gonna mm -hmm. be great. It's gonna take off. And I'm going back to what I'm doing. Um, but again, as soon as I got out. I left a vacuum because the next doctor they put in there was Joe Blow doctor who didn't know any of the things right, that right. I knew and very traditional wasn't probably. gonna look into yeah. it was was in a hurry to get back to the hospital to finish his residency where sure. I had completely destroyed my career. I had no chance of getting back into any Navy residency because uh -huh. of all the trouble I'd stirred up. Um and and I and I don't know why it was surprising to them, you know, because the leadership kept telling me I couldn't treat seals special because they were seals, and I was like, yeah, I, I can actually, and I, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you can't do that, and I'm like, well, that's that's what I'm going to do. Like, yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't know what else to tell you, but those are my brothers, right? Yeah, and. Yeah. It's in their name, special forces, right? Like they get special treatment. And I'm like, no, you have to treat everybody. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. So like, mm -hmm. I, I so I cut my own throat with that, um, but it was fine. And so I, uh, I, uh, 2012, 2012 is when McCall got out, um, and then I saw him later that year, like towards the end of that year, right before I got out of the Navy, and uh, he you know, told me his story of the ayahuasca and all that. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then, and then I got out and a few months after I got out, my buddy's problem happened and we went down and did the Ibogaine. And that was your first experience with psychedelics? Yeah. Was that Ibogaine trip? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, so uh, when Martin and the guy mm -hmm. talked to me about it, um, I wasn't sure that it would be useful um, at all, but they, I, I was curious just because I'm, I'm a curious guy and I didn't, I didn't I definitely didn't feel like I had all the answers because obviously, good. That's dude. That is the mark of a good doctor. Obviously, a, a curious doctor who doesn't think yeah. he has all the answers yeah. is a good doctor. And I, and I think you know some a plant that evolved to be on the planet at the same time of it as us having medicinal benefit is probably a lot smarter than something we create in a lab. And I like cool. I don't even know why it should be regulated. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the FDA's charter they're not supposed to be able to regulate anything like that. So if you can just pick something and eat it yeah, and not do anything else or just ingest it, then it's, it's considered a food and it can't be, it can't be a drug. It can't be regulated, but you can do that with marijuana, right? You can just yeah. go grab marijuana and eat it and then have an effect, but marijuana is illegal. And if it, Crazy. if it exists in nature unaltered, 
um, then it's also not a drug, but testosterone is a drug. Mm-hmm. Testosterone is a controlled drug because people use it to cheat in sports. Estrogen is the same damn thing. It's a sex hormone, but nobody uses that to treat in drug, uh, treat, you know, yeah. to cheat in sports. Cheat, so like, yeah. uh, whatever, like we don't need to regulate that one, but this yeah. testosterone stuff and that growth hormone stuff, like we yeah. got it. Right. So it's all political. It's all a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, but, uh, when they talked to me about the Ibogaine, they also talked to me about the five MEO DMT. Mm-hmm. And they told me how it was this universal oneness experience and, you know, complete, complete ego death. And I was like, well, I'd be interested in doing that. Yeah. Like, I, like, like, I, I don't know if I have an ego or not. I'm sure. sure I do. Like, let's, let's check this out. And so they sent somebody in my house that night and I did five MEO DMT. Like, oh, no way. Which was illegal. Obviously I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. But, Who, uh, what was the, um, did this person have like a, a pretty, it, it, rich history yeah, of yeah, meeting I mean, it, people it, 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 in that space. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was a facilitator that who that worked with them. So okay. part, so their their uh, their ibogaine experience has a five meo component. So you do yeah. ibogaine, you have a gray day, and then the next day you do five meo. Yeah. Um, and so they sent that girl to my house, and I was like, wow, like that was amazing. Um, so I like I I was I was. I was in favor of it. I didn't know enough about it to be telling people they should do it or shouldn't. Right. But you had a great time with your first experience. Yeah. And then I had a great time with that. And then, you know, that regulated itself. And then, um, you know, maybe a year later I did ayahuasca and, made all kinds of mistakes with that. So, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, I, I walked out of ayahuasca and got a divorce and, uh, got into a relationship with a woman no I did way. ayahuasca with you. She, what? She got a divorce too. And then that fell apart real quickly as you one could imagine. So, okay. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. went, you went on an ayahuasca trip and during your experience, what what came to you to make such a drastic change well, in your life? Well, I I was already so that's pretty that's a pretty I, intense I was, unless you were already I, on I, that I, path. I was I was already on that path with okay. my wife because okay. um and so not, it wasn't like you said bye hon love you see you yeah, in a couple weeks yeah, it, and, and then you come back and it, drop it, that it wasn't be uh, and it wasn't because uh, there was anything bad between us she was from Australia mm-hmm. and and you know and she was older than me so she came over here she was you know in her late forties when she came over here. And her, everything was in Australia and all like her whole culture, everything was there. And then I lived this, you know, isolated existence. So like when I was in the Navy, of course, I don't have any control of my time. So I didn't really get to see her much. And then once I got out and started doing this entrepreneurial gig, like I was traveling and all this stuff. And so she was just kind of depressed all the time. And mm. I was just like, you know, you should just move back to Australia, you know, and she was spending half the year back half the year in Australia anyway. And I'm just like, you know, let's just get your house and you go to Australia. And so we just bought we just bought her a house in Australia, and she mm-hmm. just and she was down there like moving into this house, and so like I, yeah, we hadn't we had discussed it, we hadn't like made the final decision that we were going to get divorced. Sure, but, I mean it was it was I, on track. I mean the the writing was on the walls. Like, yeah, 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 you're going to be depressed as long yeah. as you're here. Yeah, I'm going to feel bad when you're if you're depressed because you want to be with me. Like yeah. I, I don't want somebody to be depressed because they want to be with me. Like yeah, I admire that. Like you know, that stick to itiveness there. Yeah. But like, I don't want that. Like, I feel terrible that you're depressed and you're just doing it to be with me. Like, this feels mm-hmm. awful. So mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah, so that, that was, that was coming. Um, and this thing was actually supposed to be a, a business thing, which was now that I know what I know about psychedelics is a stupid idea. Um, but the idea was, you know, you go there and you free up your mind, you get rid of your limitations with somebody you're trying to do a business, you know, in business with. And like, you know, you figure out how to, gel better to, or to break through in your business, whatever. Mm. And so this woman and I were working on starting a supplement line together, 
because I already had kind of a supplement company, right? I have like a product, um, but I know a lot about how to make a supplement and sell sure. a supplement. So that was the intention yeah. that you brought into the and trip. she And she had this brand that was like health and wealth. And, and so I was going to be the health component. She was going to be, and that was kind of our business idea. Okay. And then it turned into this romantic idea under the influence of ayahuasca. Wow. Um, and yeah. So then I, uh, I did psilocybin a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I, I, and again, one of my primary reasons for doing ayahuasca was because McCall had done it mm-hmm. and I wanted to see if that was an alternative for the seals. Right. Uh, because I began, there's not that many places to do Ibogaine and it's a big time commitment and, yeah. and you can get you know, a lot of ceremonies of ayahuasca in, in the United States because they can do it under churches and whatever. And like, right. that's how we did it. And so I went to experiment kind of for that reason too. And I, cool. and I was like, yeah, there, it was, it was super traditional and they had the gongs and chicken bones and the mantle and like all the crystal bowls and chanting. And sure, I, I was sure. like, I was like, no, the seals will tie that guy up and yeah. in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like that, this is not going to work. It's not going to work. Uh, but it, it actually did work uh, later. They started doing uh, some, I know. Quite so you try, you went down there, you tried ayahuasca later. Yeah. You tried psilocybin. Did you try yeah. any other psychedelics as a, uh, um, path I, of I, curiosity. I've, I've done MDMA. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not done ketamine, mm-hmm. but LSD. Uh, yeah, I've I I haven't done a heroic dose with LSD, but mm-hmm. I've, I've done I I tried microdosing that for a long time, and I didn't really get anything okay that I could appreciate out of it. So I I I never went any further with that. But one. through through these efforts of like testing these different substances what was one of your main intentions to see how it could how these substances could fit into the world of health and treatment well from it, your it's, doctor's it's perspective primarily for the seals right yeah uh, because i i also never finished my navy stories the last year that i was in there um you know it it wasn't a hundred percent solution for a hundred percent of the people mm-hmm. but it was an 80% solution for 80% of the guys, at least maybe 90% of the guys. And there was a cohort that I just couldn't help nearly as much. Got everybody off of sleep drugs and it helped everybody. But, um, I, I went to a medical conference and this guy was talking about TBI and I knew I had one TBI patient. I I knew I had at least one TBI is traumatic brain injury. Okay. And when you have traumatic brain injury, often you can't sleep. Yeah. And, um, so this guy had been sent back to me, uh, from training because he hadn't slept in a week and he was hallucinating while they were doing oh, li- live fire drills and he was hallucinating and running into fire and putting oh man putting gas in diesel trucks and like just and yeah was, and uh, so he came and I worked with him to help get him to sleep and then so I was curious because I was like oh I know he has a TBI because um, he actually we got him back into his platoon he deployed and he almost got hit by an, RB, or an RPG came with and like 18 inches of his head oh, and hit the wall right behind him shit. and then he couldn't sleep again they sent him back and so i'm like i know i have at least one guy with a tbi and then mccall had had he'd he'd uh he'd been a vehicle that hit an ied and that and so i knew he had a tbi and so i'm like well um maybe I'll, maybe there's some tbi stuff i can learn you know because these conferences like you never know what's going to be a good lecture and mm-hmm. oftentimes you just have to pick because three are going on at the same time so mm-hmm. i decide i'll go to this tbi lecture and it's this doctor named Mark Gordon who's out here, and and, uh, and he he's done he, he's done a lot of work in this area, and um, and he was studying pugilists, so MMA fighters and boxers and kickboxers and things like that, and NFL guys, um, and he was talking about 
the symptoms of TBI, which sounded a hell of a lot like the symptoms of my guys. And mm-hmm. then he starts throwing up his case reports, all the hormonal changes. And mm. so when he starts throwing up his labs, I'm like, this is the exact same lab patterns I have. So I pull my, hey, I'm the doctor for the West Coast SEAL teams. And I, yeah. and I become friends with Mark Gordon and, we, and I learn from him and I start going home and doing my own research and I learn the threshold for a minor traumatic brain injury. So, and, and this is super minor. This would be, wouldn't be clinically significant, but they, there's a study called a DTI where they can really see like a single neuronal tract breaking. And they, so that was a very minor TBI. Uh, but they found that on the acceleration changes of roller coaster. So that was in JAMA. Uh, August of 2009, I believe. And uh, I'm like, well, and I I knew we had tested a lot of our equipment uh, because we knew that G-forces were a problem, Mm -hmm. right? um, There's concussive blows. There's like getting hit. That's a different kind of TBI than like this overpressurization stuff, right? And uh, so I start looking at that and I'm like, holy smokes, like I don't have a single guy who doesn't have a TBI. So you think about it, the overpressurization is slightly different. So if you get hit in the head, right, your brain moves and your brain can hit your skull and bounce back and hit the other side of the skull mm-hmm. and like and it sloshes around and it can break. Well, a blast, it's just like if we overpressurize this room and it went from that door out that window, that blast goes through our brain too, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. with, with uh, is it slow, slow speed or fast uh, a video they can... Yeah, like, like slow-mo. Like, yeah, they can yeah. do really slow-mo if it's like really high resolution. Yeah, high whatever, high whatever. frames per yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, high, yeah. So high frames per second, right? <clears throat> so they made an exact model of a brain, an exact model of a skull. And then they could put, they put cameras in it and they could see what was happening because uh, the skull they made of uh, translucent material so they could see the brain. What happens when the blast wave comes through, just what you would think, Right when the blast wave hits that camera, it affects that camera in a different way than it affects you, then different than that. Right, right? because it's different densities. So everything mm. that's different density gets affected differently. Well, your skull's different density than the dura, the lining of your brain, and that's a different dura, that's a different density than the blood vessels, and that's a different density than the white matter, and that's a different. So density everything density gets than affected the gray differently. Brain. So everything moves across and it, and it shears. Oh wow! So it damages Damn. all the interface. So. When seal suicide, which is frighteningly common now, mm-hmm. uh, when when seals and former seals suicide, a lot of them are doing the shoot themselves in the chest thing now and getting their brains biopsied and all this. And so um, we we've studied all this. And so you know the CTE of the NFL is a is a very kind of uh, common predictable pattern, and it looks like this, right? And when when a pathologist does the brain slices, like we see these proteins build up here and like and you see these things well what happened when we started doing it with the seals is like the entire brain had these tau proteins so like these things that are beta amyloid which is like basically just your way of your your body's way of protecting you from chronic inflammation is to put some sort of shield over it right so mm-hmm. atherosclerosis is like you have chronically inflamed lining of your blood vessel and your but your immune system gets tired of fighting it and they just lays calcium over it, right? Because mm-hmm. um, you just put a brick wall up there and now you don't have to deal with it anymore, right? Um, and you, if you've ever heard of like a bone spur, like, oh, he has a bone spur yep. on his knee. He's like, well, there's no such thing as a bone spur, right? You can grow a bone mm-hmm. somewhere. What, what happened, you had a chronically inflamed tendon or a chronically inflamed, inflamed ligament and your body just decided, well, we're, di- we're tired of dealing with this. Let's just put a calcium wall around it. And oh, then wow. it looks like, 
yeah, looks this like a little taper edge. off. Yeah, the, yeah. This tendon now looks like a little bone spur. Yeah. Um, and so your brain does that with proteins. And so it's like chronically inflamed. So it just like starts laying down proteins. Well, we had it around the entire brain because of all the interfaces. So where the blood vessels met the brain, where the, you know, where the lining of the brain met the brain, where the white matter meets the gray matter or the gray matter uh, meets the vesicles or the, you know, the fluid filled parts of it. These pro these. So all these, all these things in the brain are getting um, shocked by high pressure right. events. And, right. and you, you see this in the seals brains right. a lot. So right. is, is the theory that some of these medicines can help restructure and, and assist in the physical healing process? Yes. That? Yeah. So what, so, uh, I mean, the way I look at it is, um, all, all TBI is, is brain damage mm-hmm. it's brain inflammation. Right. So it's not necessarily, we can't necessarily look at it like a stroke and say, well, you have this area of dead brain tissue, but mm-hmm. we can say chronic inflammation, you have all these proteins laying around, which show that that area is damaged. Right. Well, when you get inflammation in the brain, one of the things that's very common, uh, actually when you get inflammation anywhere is you lose blood supply to it. Um, and so one, one of the ways, uh, that we, really help people is with hyperbarics and that, you know, that was at the end because you can get hyperbarics to places you don't have blood vessels. Well, the TBIs and the SEAL teams was part of the trauma of the job. They have very traumatic jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, If a SEAL retires, the average SEAL gets, I think, 13 surgeries before they retire. Um, And then these blast injuries, which we said was like 1.1 G essentially was the, was the, um, the very mild TBI will when they're shooting machine gun just in a concrete room, just like doing CQC, every, every pull of the trigger of an M4 is 35 G's and you have four guys in the room doing 35 G's five, six times and going to the next room and next mm-hmm, room. Mm-hmm. Um, our fast boats transit like a uh, fast boats, they transit in like 65 G's of compression. Like every, Damn. every time that's an average and they peak over hundred G's, um, a hard parachute opening can be three or four G's. The, um, our anti-tank weapons, the Carl Gustav, the guy shooting it gets 200 G's. The guy spotting it gets 300 G's. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> like being in the back of a, of a Humvee with a 50 cal machine gun, 65 G's with every, with every bullet. And you're so saying, all of that messes up the brain so much. And then it leads to all these symptoms right. that guys well, would come in with. Well, the brain regulates all of your hormones and yeah. the brain regulates, of course, all of your neurotransmitters mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then all of your ne- neurotransmitters and your hormones and your blood supply dictate what regions of your brain communicate well and which regions of your brain operate well. Mm-hmm. And so when you start damaging that, like exactly what are you going to get? I don't know, but we can predict it. And I can, I can tell you what they complain of. Like, can I tell you, well, that's because the, you know, the VTA wasn't connected to the nucleus accumbens correctly because of this neurotransmitter and that mm-hmm. down regulator. And like, no, mm-hmm. I can't go that far. But when now, when you put in something like ibogaine, now ibogaine specifically, super complex drug, it's it literally stimulates every region of the brain, like every neurotransmitter, the receptors for every neurotransmitter, regions of your brain communicate that have never communicated before, never. Mm-hmm. Right, maybe when you were a baby, right? And you know, when we're when we're young, we we know what we call neuroplasticity, right? Neuro, yeah, neuroplasticity just means that your brain can change easily. Um, kids, and as you uh, get older, that becomes we less become and less. more rigid, right? Yeah. So I'm a grumpy old man now, not because 
I'm 52 years old, but because my brain is way more, way more rigid. So does Ibogaine assist? And yeah. So what, what happens when you do Ibogaine, you change all the neurotransmitters, you change all the receptors to that. You actually stimulate regions of the brain that produce things like dopamine Mm -hmm. and stimulate regions of the brain that, uh, so, uh, there's something called a, a glial, uh, glial derived neurotropic factor, and that helps repair the brain. And then you've heard of BDNF, like brain, uh, uh, brain derived neurotropic factor, and that helps repair the brain. And that by repairing the brain means we're getting rid of the inflammation, but we're also growing like blood vessels and we're, you know, balancing the trans, the neurotransmitters, making mm-hmm. sure that, the, uh, all the neurons are doing their job and receiving what they should and per, and promoting what they should and now you become more plastic your brain becomes mm. more plastic mm-hmm. and uh, and there's uh, you know there's there's uh, several neurotransmitters and uh, so basically the more growth factors you have in your brain and I can think of maybe four off the top of my head there's probably seven or eight like um, the more the more growth factors you have the more plastic your brain is right because mm-hmm. those things are stimulating your brain to change and that's all it means is that you can easily change your brain and so Ibogaine stimulates the brain like crazy, makes it plastic as hell. And in, in fact, so something like, you think for something like heroin, somebody becomes a heroin addict, like how quickly do they change, right? Could you make that amount of change in you without drugs? No. No. Heroin makes your brain really pla- neuroplastic, right? Like mm-hmm. you're, your brain's very easily mold- remolded because you're doing things to your brain that your brain has never done before and right. so like in a bad way in a bad yeah. way yeah. Yeah. and so you're so you're developing all these new pathways and brain you know this region of your brain's growing this region of your brain's shrinking and so and then anything that you do while you're under the influence of that that becomes sort of your default mode network right you've heard of that phrase it's yeah. just like yeah. your, your little rigid pathway so you start thinking this way and behaving this way and then you do those things and then your brain starts going oh this is how we operate now and now that becomes your addicted behavior that you can't ever break because right. you've just remodeled your brain to be a heroin receiving sure. machine and run off of it sure and like how do you get rid of that now and that's why something that's why something like ibogaine helps with opiate addiction because it makes your brain plastic again but through different ways and so now you can change your behavior you can occupy a lot of those receptors that are causing addiction like uh you know things like dopamine receptors you can those are agonists oh you can occupy them instead yeah. of occupying them with yeah so something i like so heroin. ibogaine ibogaine is what we call an agonist uh like when i said uh, um when i said that uh ambient is a gaba analog it's mm-hmm. also called a GABA agonist so it acts like GABA but just a thousand times stronger than GABA yeah well Ibogaine does that to your to your brain all your neurotransmitters so it becomes an agonist at every receptor and it stimulates every single region of your brain and your brain becomes more neuroplastic than it's probably been since you were 10 years old or you know 12 years old or something now you have the opportunity to make changes now the other thing that it does you've heard do you are you familiar with the amygdala the, uh, say it so, again, so it's like but, the alarm system they call yeah. it the brain so it's like walnut size on it. you have one on each side of your brain and mm. this is what um, our ancestors passed on to us is is this alert system so our ancestors were walking around they catch like this black orange and white stripe pattern out of the corner of their eye they're alerted fire yeah. flee right? Right, like, right man they're on it right and so it senses danger right mm-hmm but that's the, also the stress system, right? So if you're worried about your divorce, if you're worried about your bankruptcy, if you're worried about your 
It's coming from the amygdala. What, right. So yeah. the amygdala stimulate, and ours are just revved up all the time. And that leads to the release of stress hormones. Stress hormones keep you more alert in mm. proportion to your environment. Mm -hmm. Fight or flight is maximum stress hormones, maximum cortisol, maximum amygdala tone. Well, if you spend 20 years as a SEAL and you're getting in gunfights all the time, jumping out of planes, blowing stuff up and getting hurt all the time, like your amygdala tone is really high. Yeah. And you walk around all the time, super alert, checking in, looking at people's hands, looking at people's eyes, yeah. looking at that. What was that sound? What was this? Right. And so super revved up fight or flight system, all of the psychedelics, uh, this, this is a pretty new paper, uh, maybe four or six months ago came out. So at, uh, MDMA, ketamine, LSD, psilocybin, ayahuasca, Ibogaine, and of course, uh, 5-MeO and any other type of DMT kind of, uh, ayahuasca and, and Ibogaine get, do a lot of their effects through DMT. A lot of them have mm -hmm. a lot of the effects through DMT, but anyway, functional MRI show a decrease of amygdala activity, 90%. After one After session? one session. So MDMA, only while you're on it. <laughs> yeah. And about an hour afterwards, you're back to normal. Ketamine, a week, two weeks, maybe up to and a month. And it's probably different if it's a therapy session with follow-up right, therapist, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, the environment. But just the, talking the about the, the yeah. intake yeah. of the medicine. Yeah, and sure. So, and so like the, the one of the effects that we can measure, and the problem is the brain is so damn complex, and something like Ibogaine is affecting every part of your brain. Yeah. We're never going to figure that drug out. We're yeah. never going to figure it yeah. out. Like we're going to be learning stuff about that. For, Still haven't figured out the brain. Yeah. I mean, we don't know how the brain works well enough to right. even understand it. If, if we could understand exactly how it's affecting every single, yeah. like every single cleft in our brain, like where every neuron transmits to another neuron, it's, it's all, every one of those are affected by this drug. Um, so MDMA does it while you're on it. Uh, ketamine does it for a week maybe up to a month mm -hmm. uh, depending on how much you do uh lsd i can't remember but psilocybin does it for a little bit longer ayahuasca does it for a little bit longer ibogaine does it for even longer so mm -hmm. now you have a neuroplastic brain a brain that you can actually change mm -hmm. and you've gotten rid of 90 percent of your fear and you've been shown all of these introspective things and you know what to work on so it's easier to do the work if you don't if you aren't walking around with the amygdala tone all the time, right? Wow, You're not walking yeah, around with all the yeah, stress, okay? Right, so you've done that. It's easier to do the work, right? Right, and those those neurotropic factors I was talking about that help you remodel your brain. Hence, like those those essentially are that means neuroplasticity, right? Mm -hmm. The more of those you have, the more neuroplasticity you have. The more you can remodel your brain and change the way things communicate. So we ibogaine does that more than anything else. And it lasts longer than anything else. So Ibogaine can be in your system for up to nine months after taking it. Mm -hmm. um, it it's lipid soluble. It dissolves in, it, it'll, it'll store in your subcutaneous fat. And so if you do like zone two kind of cardio, like walking or like light jogging, or whatever, you start oxidizing some fat mm -hmm. as your fuel source and you're actually microdosing ibogaine mm. uh, and then your brain, you know, is keeping the concentrations of that up in there. So it's keeping your brain plastic and it's keeping your stress levels low and it's keeping these uh, neurotropic factors in there and if we can add something like hyperbarics in there and we can grow some new blood vessels and 
we can maybe repair your hormones and like testosterone is a great anti-inflammatory and it's an anti-inflammatory in the brain but it also helps stimulate new blood vessel growth and you know so, so you can you can do a, you're, you're creating a cocktail again because yeah. you're saying yeah. all these different pieces yeah. put together so as a western trained doctor it seems really rare for all of these things to start coming into kind of the forefront of medicine do you see a space for psychedelics to enter into the mainstream medicine conversation because yes. yes. they're, they're trying right now you know with with things like ptsd treatment maps yeah. is working on their mdma uh, there, branding to put it out there, there's more stigma of anything that's been an illicit drug ever right yeah uh, so that it's it's going to be more difficult saying that says nothing about the science the science of it is, is probably the most promising thing out there for the brain so how can we get the science to overcome the stigma uh money yeah so you had to get the money in there um and like fauci just proved to us if you're not studying what we want you to study or you're not coming up with the right conclusions if you do study those things then you aren't getting the money to study that mm. anymore and so that and then pharma has to be able to make money off of it well pharma can't make any money off of ibogaine because like they mm. they're gonna have to like figure out well the, the really active molecule is this one and if we change it a little bit we can make an analog of it that works even better and now we can sell that as a drug that's far-fetched that's not that likely to happen mm. that's kind of what they tried to do with they tried to do it with marijuana Mar yeah. marinol they called it and it and they tried to basically make marijuana capsules and they didn't work at all they didn't do anything um but you could smoke marijuana and get the effect right. or you could eat right. marijuana and get the effect um so i think the drug i think they're too complex for pharma to jump in there um but this time around we're getting a lot more social acceptance now keep in mind all of these drugs have been used for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, you know, society's going in That's cycles. the crazy thing is that we've had these plant medicines for longer than we've had any pharmaceutical drug. Right, right. And yet they're stigmatized well, and the pushed pe down people in get research. In, people get in charge and people get incentivized by certain behaviors to get money and to get power. And they, and the society starts drifting that way. And so it's cyclic. And I think, yeah. I think we have a better chance this time. Like in the 60s, when the, all of this was really starting, I think it was a it was a newscaster, like a like a really famous newscaster's son took LSD or something, and then like ran out into traffic, and then it was like, well, all these right. psychedelic drugs kill It'll everybody, make you jump off and, a bridge, right, right, and fly, so yeah. then it shut down immediately. Like there was a ton of research going on with yeah. psychedelic drugs, and it just bam ended immediately, no more. Kind of like COVID, yeah. bam, <laughs> we've decided. <laughs> This now you're going to wear a mask and be six feet apart. Bam! Social distancing is a mm -hmm. thing, right? Um, and so I don't, I don't know where that goes. I hope, but I, I feel like this time we have a better chance. I feel like there's, uh, like I know, I know a ton of wealthy people. That my clients are wealthy people, and I know a ton of influential people, and they are all about this. Like you saw the the gala. There's there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of powerful people who are behind this now. So barring any sort of tragic event where you know, somebody does something stupid under the influence of one of these drugs and they're doing it in a poor setting or has a psychotic break or somebody dies of a heart attack taking, you know, while they're on Ibogaine or something like who knows how the political spin of that could go. And if that right. could crush, even though people die yeah. all the time from pharmaceutical from drugs and people yeah. die from yeah. Tylenol yeah. more than anything almost, right? Yeah. Um, so but I think psychedelics and peptides and then just lifestyle, right? that's where medicine's going like if you really if you really want to live a long time 
and I can't guarantee you you'll live longer, but if you really want to have like a lot of life in your years, I can't guarantee you more like more mm -hmm. years of life. If you but, want to optimize. But if you want your life to be like, hey, I'm performing and then bam, I fall off a cliff and I die like immediately, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't like get worse and worse and worse over a 30 year period. Mm -hmm. That's that's going to be regenerative medicine and, and psychedelics I consider regenerative medicine for the brain, right? Mm -hmm. um, and peptides are regenerative for the brain as well, but we can also use peptides to affect hormones and we can use peptides to affect repair of muscles and tendons and ligaments and organs and, you know, fight off cancer and immune system, boost our immune system and alter our immune system and, uh, and, and, and a lot of, and it's doing that a lot through hormones as well. So again, it's like what we were, what we're designed to have, well, uh, like, you know, you have, uh, you hear about these peptides and, oh, BPC-157, this is great anti-inflammatory. It's like, well, you already have BPC-157 in your body, mm -hmm. right? And we're just like super concentrating it, mm -hmm. right? So it's a peptide that's already there, right? Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of these things are that way, you know? Um, and like, you know, growth hormone is like 191 amino acids long, and you can cut that into like 17 different peptides that all have the effects of growth hormone, by the way. Mm -hmm. Not all the effects of growth hormones, but like this effect of growth hormone is done by these peptides. And so... Um, so I think understanding that, so we're sort of, it's basically taking medicine down to a cellular model. So how are we affecting the DNA of the cell, right? So every cell has the same DNA, right? Mm -hmm. But your liver cell isn't the same as your skin cell, isn't the same as the muscle cell. So why is that? Well, it's because what's being expressed in that cell, that's the epigenetics, right? Um, and we can control epigenetics, like we, nutrition, sleep. If you don't, yeah. if you short yourself two hours of sleep, you have 750 some odd changes of epigenetic expression the next day. How many hours of sleep should somebody be getting every day? Eight. Eight. Eight, eight hours. If you only get six, can you make up for it by getting 10 the next day? Nope. You can't. You, you, Are you, you sure? You, 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 okay. I, I will believe you. You, you can. It, let me qualify this. Okay. If you break your leg, can you repair it? Yes. Okay. Is it 100% repair? Is there any sequelae? Uh, is there I, well, the old wives' tale is that your bones grow back stronger after you right. break them. And if I looked at it in an X-ray, I would see a little lump there because uh, it's thicker, right? So it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's something different. Okay, all right. So there's a little change. Maybe that's a little damage, but but yeah. the, it's, it's stronger. The bones back, right? Yeah. Sleep deprivation is the same thing. You damaged yourself mm. while you're awake. You're using up all your resources. Yeah. Right. And you're catabolic. Yeah. Right. I was telling you about that. You're catabolic. You're using yourself as your fuel source yep. and throughout the day and you're using your brain and you're using your muscles and, and you're using yourself as a fuel source and you're getting through the day and you can only last about 16 hours before you have a buildup of adenosine. So mm -hmm. ATP is the fuel source of every cell. ATP is adenosine with three phosphate groups and then you break off a phosphate and you get energy, another one, another one. And then when you break off all three, it's just adenosine and that's the sleep pressure. That's what builds up in our brain and makes us go, God, I got to sleep, right? Mm. Well, that's just kind of like an analog because that's not the only thing that's going wrong, right? That's the only thing sure. being depleted, but it's your brain's way of going, okay, well, we know when we have this much adenosine, we need to fall asleep. So it turns out contract you're born into, you're going to die. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. Nobody yep. gets out of this alive. And while you're an adult, at least we'll say more, it's different when you're a child, but once you become an adult, it takes eight hours to recover from 16 hours of being awake. Mm. Now, if you run an ultra marathon you probably need 12 hours of, hours of sleep right okay. you know if you hardly do anything maybe you can you know have seven hours of sleep right but it's a, it, basically the contract is 16 awake eight asleep mm -hmm. now 
every hour you go past that 16 hours of being awake, we can measure decrements and we can measure inflammatory, we can measure cognitive decline, decision-making going down, and we can parallel it with being drunk, right? So a blood alcohol level, a performance of a blood alcohol level of 0.08 is only being awake for 24 hours. And you perform like somebody who's right on that limit. If you sit for two days, you perform it just like somebody who has a blood alcohol level of 0.2, right? Just mm. sloppy drunk, yeah. right? Yeah. All right. And we've all been there. Like if you've been that sleep deprived, you realize oh, yeah, you're yeah. a moron. Can't like get you're, the wheel. Saying all yeah. kinds of, you're saying stupid yeah. stuff, you're right, right? Yeah, you're loopy, right? And so um, you went past where you should have. Yeah. You've had more inflammation. You've used fuel sources you didn't technically have you've stolen from you've robbed peter to pay paul you've done like you've done some sure. damage maybe you've started to form a little protein to fight off some inflammation here whatever now i can recover the next night get my sleep back maybe sleep 10 hours and like you said and i restore myself and i feel i feel better right so all that really happened was i was awake for 18 hours instead of 16 hours mm -hmm. right the morning still came at the same time. I still had to get up and do everything. So the next night I slept extra to try to help me repair from some of that that I didn't get to. The whole point of me sleeping eight hours tonight is to repair yeah. everything that I damaged today and to prepare for tomorrow. Store up everything, put all my put all my neurotransmitters and hormones and glycogen stores and everything where they need to be so that when I get up tomorrow, I'm the best I can possibly be mm -hmm. to handle my day. If I could do that perfectly... I wouldn't age, right? Because I'd wake up every day exactly the same. Yeah. But if I choose to sleep six hours, I'm choosing to age 25% faster. What about actually. people who say they sleep four hours a night, like The Rock? You know, like these yeah. dudes, like I worked with Kobe Bryant at his basketball camp and there yeah. was always the story of how he's up at 4 a.m. and yeah. he's in bed at midnight. Yeah, so, so there are genetic differences with sleep just like anyone else. So some people can actually be good on that. No, let me, let me qualify though. Okay. All right, so... Ideal is 16 hours awake and eight hours asleep. If I sleep six hours and you sleep six hours and your neighbor sleeps six hours and someone else sleeps six hours, we're all gonna suffer differently. Mm. The super sleepers, as they're calling them, and there's people with these, there's four, basically four clock genes essentially that are, that are making these people suffer far less. So and it, Trump was famous for saying he only slept four or five hours a night. And I know lots of people like that. Like I went, I had a medical school professor that slept five hours a night, you know? Crazy. Um, and he, but what has never been shown is that those people are at their best after sleep five hours a night. They just don't suffer as much as the rest of us. Mm. I just told you that the Navy SEALs I was seeing is 400 or so of these guys did sleep studies and actually weren't getting any sleep. And they were SEALs. They had been doing that for years. Yeah. So you can survive it, but you're not at your best for sure. Mm. And you're choosing to age 25% faster if you sleep six hours. Like in age Is that a, a typical like ratio? Well, I mean, I, I'm just doing simple math, right? So okay. It's oh, right. Eight, yeah, 25. Yeah. Two hours of eight. Yeah. yeah I got yeah, you. Okay. I, I, what, about, I, what about naps? Naps. How help. beneficial are naps? Naps are great. So uh, there's, there's, a, there's a book called Take a Nap. Uh, that was uh, written by, I think her name is Sarah Mednick. She's a, she's a UCSD faculty. Um, it has this little wheel on it, basically. And, and you, can, you can take a nap to optimize for creativity, for cognitive function, or for overall health, right? And they get progressively longer. 
but you can do this little wheel and say, well, I went to sleep at this time. I woke up at this time. What time should I take a nap if I want to improve oh, no my way. creativity That's cool. for yeah. how long? And, and, like, and you, you can calculate it out. Yeah. But like a really simple example, uh, and these studies have been done um, numerous times, uh, I, I could take somebody first somebody has to be what we call sleep adaptive basically meaning they've been sleeping eight hours a night or whatever they've been sleeping as much as they need the only way you really know how much sleep you need is to have like a really good clean lifestyle that's really consistent go to bed at the same time every night and wake up whenever you wake up with no alarm clock yeah that's going to turn out to be right around eight hours it's going to be seven and a half hours to eight and a half hours that's what everybody that's how everybody plans out now if you want to set your alarm clock and to get up earlier and say you feel great well cortisol makes you feel good right if i don't if if i don't if i if i stay up 18 hours instead of 16 hours and i sleep six hours tomorrow still comes at the same time i didn't prepare all the way right i I repaired maybe Mm -hmm. maybe i didn't repair all the way but I did my repair, maybe didn't get all my prepare, but something was deficient. So tomorrow I still have to be able to do everything I was going to do if I slept eight hours. So how do I compensate for that? I release more stress hormones and stress hormones are fight or flight hormones. So tell me how you do feel when you're adrenalized, like when like, you know, may not feel great, but you feel energetic and ready to go. Right. And so especially when you have an alarm, it's in the name and Mm -hmm. you your your cortisol shoots through the roof your epinephrine and norepinephrine which is adrenaline that shoots through the roof your brain wakes up you're like ah, go yeah. you go take a cold shower do something you know go work out get in some sunlight and yeah like, now you're feeling great man i'm getting after it and now you're mentally going well i'm doing the right thing because i'm getting up early and i'm working hard and i'm done and so society has built this narrative that is good for us to do that and so we're going to be energized by that and we're going to talk ourselves psychologically and saying hey we're doing the right thing mm-hmm. But if you want to completely prepare and repair, it takes eight hours. Right? Yeah. And yeah. so if you want, and 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 that's that's how we get better, and that's how we stay healthy, right? Because all aging is is you're more likely to get any disease, and you're more likely to die of any cause. That's what getting older means. So if I can repair every night, ninety nine point nine percent, I'm only aging point one percent every day, right? Mm-hmm. If I choose to sleep two hours less, I'm only, all right, now I'm getting at 75%, mm-hmm. 76%. I'm eight, like, I'm just, I'm getting worse every day. Now it's not exactly linear because there's ways to compensate and all that, but um, taking a nap doesn't get rid of the sleep deficit. You, you still didn't repair and prepare, right? If you didn't sleep enough, right? But, when I got up in the morning, I'm catabolic. I have the extra stress hormones. I'm breaking myself down. I take a nap. I get to, I get to repair a little bit of that mm-hmm. to like maybe shift some fuel sources around a little bit. And if I take a full sleep cycle, so from stage one sleep all the way to deep sleep and then back up through a little rim and back down to stage two. And like I did a full sleep cycle. Well, that's kind of like sleeping. And so the, the, the studies are like this. Uh, if you're if you're sleep adapted, you've been sleeping eight hours a night every night for the past six months and whatever, and you're like you like you're on this great schedule. And then I say, all right, come in tomorrow morning. I'm going to teach you a skill, and I'm going to teach you to type with your left hand or whatever, like or juggle or jump mm-hmm. or lift mm-hmm. a weight or I don't care, anything you want. I'm going to teach you something. And then I teach you that. And then I want you to come back at seven o'clock tonight, and I'm going to test you on what I taught you. And you're going to be worse than you left training. So like right. you're going to train for an hour and you're going to be better at the end of that hour than you were when you started that. 
seven o'clock when you come back, you're going to be worse. Yeah. Right. It decays. Now with no more training, you go home and you go to sleep and you come back tomorrow morning and you're better than you left training. Mm. If you put a nap in the middle of the day, the same thing happens. So if I take, if I learn something in the morning and I go take a nap and then I come back at seven, I'm better than when I left training. And because I, that nap allowed you to integrate what and, you learned. Yes, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. And then I go home and I go to sleep. Yeah. And I come back the next day. I'm even better. So take a nap. So, so, at, I, I got, so sleeping in school is like a good thing. Yeah, so I got, like that yeah. was, I shouldn't have gotten in trouble for that. Right. Because I was right. just integrating you're, you're what the was saying. You're integrating. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I knew you, that. So you learn all this stuff. You learn all this stuff in the morning. That's the, here's the crazy thing. You really think about it. You learned it all in the morning. You didn't train anymore. You just went and yeah. slept. And you got better. Yeah. And you went home and you slept. And you got better still. Yeah. So I've worked with MMA guys, and maybe they're maybe they're a great grappler, and they're fighting somebody who's a great striker, and like well, I really need to work on my boxing. Uh-huh. I got six weeks to prepare. Train, nap, train, nap. Go home and go sleep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> train. Cool. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you learn three times as fast. That's awesome. Now, what about? Uh, have you done any research into? Um, like the inability to fall asleep or even like insomnia in, sure. re- in relation to psychedelics and how different oh. psychedelics could have an, have an effect on your ability to fall asleep. Yep. Yep. So the, the number one cause for insomnia is what, what we call psychophysiologic insomnia. And that's just one of those, uh, it's really a job security word, right? We come up with fancy sounding things. So people think we are smart and we know what we're talking about. And sure. And it's like, I don't remember what he said, but it sounded good. Um, psychophysiologic sleep means or insomnia means that I can't sleep because I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to sleep mm-hmm. so I'm releasing stress hormones in my example earlier if you if you go to if you have good good lifestyle you go to sleep the same time every night and you wake up the same time every morning you don't need the light to wake you up you don't need a sound to wake you up what wakes you up uh, the you hit eight hours, right? Cortisol. Your, cortisol. Oh, okay. Yeah. So your your cortisol, I told you, is the lowest it'll ever be during deep sleep, mm-hmm. and then it gradually goes up throughout the night. And at some point, it reaches a level that'll wake you up. Mm. Cortisol keeps you alert in proportion to your environment. When you first wake up, you have just the right amount of cortisol to wake up. Now, if somebody kicks in your front door and starts yelling at you, your cortisol shoots through the roof, right? If you go lay on your couch and read a book, your cortisol pretty much stays the same. But and it gradually goes up, and it peaks around one to three p.m which is where like 98% of all our world's records are set. Like when people's cortisol levels are peaked there and then it mm-hmm. comes gradually comes back down over the day and it has to come back down lower than that point that woke you up in order for you to go to sleep. Anything that you do to add stress to your life, such as not getting enough sleep gives you more cortisol mm-hmm. or bankruptcy or divorce or problems at work or yeah. whatever. So we run around at a higher basal level of stress. So it's harder to get to that low enough level to fall asleep. So we're stressed. We have high stress hormones. We can't fall asleep. And we lay in bed and we look at the clock and we start doing mental math. We figure out how much more time. And if I don't get enough sleep, then this is going to happen. I had stuff to do that. I'm going to be so damn tired. And then, and your mind, and now you're stressing yourself out more. You're getting more and more stress hormones. Yeah. What did I tell you all this psychedelics do? decrease all the stress hormones, decrease mm-hmm. all the amygdala tone. So it's not at all uncommon for people to go, man, after I did Ibogaine, I slept 12 hours that night and I slept 
10 hours every night for the right, next right, three months right. and i or had no problems going to sleep people on a microdose protocol too probably right yeah because the microdose is it's keeping some of that amygdala tone away as well mm-hmm. yeah and then of course the other benefit of the psychedelics if they're done correctly right if they're done in the right set and setting uh you know, there's some sort of counseling going along with that. And there's some sort right. of introspection, some sort of journaling, some sort of you working on yourself. And when you're doing that without amygdala tone, you're going to make more progress. You're going to be able to improve yourself faster. And you're going to be able to get the stressful things out of your way. And you're going to get with a neuroplastic brain, you're going to be able to figure out new ways to think about it, new ways to manage it. Right. And now right. I'm going to wow. have less stress. Cause you're altering your consciousness yeah. as you go. And if you're I'm allowing myself think. and I'm, if I'm allowing myself to go to sleep every night, mm-hmm. like I feel like doing, well then I'm remodeling my brain for that behavior too. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. My, and all my default network, my default mode network, and it gets all sorts of fancy, you know, descriptors of what it exactly what it means. It's just it's my grumpy old man programming, right? It's mm-hmm. just it's my non plasticity, right? Yeah, it's yeah. like this is what I do when I'm doing me. Right? Yeah, this is my default mode. Well, if I'm neuroplastic and I start changing all my behaviors, well, then this is what I do when I'm doing me. Right, and I sleep ten hours a night, yeah, nine hours yeah, a night, or yeah. eight hours a night, or whatever, right? Yeah, and so it def- it definitely can have some huge effects. I don't. And that's all anecdotal, but. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of people, hundreds of guys. Right, I know right, that it's, right. I think yeah. it's not like. Do you a see? Few do guys. you see a world where, uh, you know, your your um, sleep remedy cocktail? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you see it? Do you see a world where a psychedelic component could be integrated within a product like that? Yeah, there, in, a, there's, in a commercial there, way. There's there's some there's some pretty good research. Um, around psilocybin, mm-hmm. like some mushroom, yeah, some mushroom additives being about, being yeah. able to help with sleep. Um, I, I hope that that's, I hope that that's in our future. Um, marijuana is not great. Uh, not no, great for assisting for sleep. Okay. Um, the THC makes people feel like they slept really well. See, my problem is I, I, I have, I have like the worst sales job in the world, right? Because what's the worst thing you can say with, as a salesman, especially as a physician, <laughs> right? A snake oil salesman like, Fixes everything. Right, right. Makes you better at everything. Right, no, right, it'll right. make you faster, smarter, better looking. Like, right. uh, <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, oh, sure. Right. Yeah. All right. So that's for my first downfall. Somebody Sec- tried to hit me with that uh, at the grocery store yesterday. They were yeah. given samples of sea moss. Oh, yeah. And like, I've heard of sea moss. Yeah. I know yeah. a couple things about sea yeah. moss. And this guy was like, man, you put it on after you shave, <laughs> wash your hands with it, like put it in your eyes as eye drop. I was like, yo, I'm not putting sea moss in your every orifice. Your penis is going to be like six feet long. Right. And over. <laughs> if, if he had said that, I would have bought it. That was the one thing he missed. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I, I think, uh, I'm trying to tell I'm trying to tell people this does everything. It fixes everything. Like it, it makes you faster. It makes you stronger. It makes you better looking. It makes you live longer. Blah, 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 blah. Terrible job. Now the other bad part is, if I coach you and we work together and I change your psychology a little bit, maybe you do some psychedelics. But isn't that ch- what it changes though? It changes the way you think, which right. then in turn can change almost everything. Well, is that kind of the flow of it? Yeah, I mean, so in a hundred. So with a hundred percent transparency, I can't get anybody to sleep well without changing how they think. Right. Right. So right. that's a right. that's a big part of my job. So a big part of my job is first to figure out, well, what's going to motivate you, right? And then I'm going to tell you how sleep's going to do that for you. 
Mm-hmm. And it's all honest and all the research is out there. And if fear motivates you, then I'll be like, well, do you know that you have 10 times more likely, you're 10 times more likely to have Alzheimer's if you don't, do you know that you're 10 times more likely to die in a car crash? Do you know that you're, you know, mm-hmm. like all mm-hmm. these things, like I can show you everything. Like your risk of diabetes, like your insulin sensitivity drops 30% in a single night of six hours of sleep instead of eight hours of sleep. You want to be a diabetic? You want to be, right. So whatever your motivation is, you want to perform better, you want to be smarter, like I'll, I'll, I'll work on that. So we work on your psychology first. We work on your lifestyle has to be there, right? You can't you can't eat pizza, play video games all day, yeah, like yeah. do do nothing, like have a crappy lifestyle, uh, watch television until nine fifty nine and go get in bed and fall asleep at ten o'clock. That's not the way the world works. You're yeah. gonna have to change your behavior in order to change your behavior. You have to change your psychology. But here's where it really falls apart. If I do my job well and you sleep perfectly, you don't remember it. Mm. You have no experience of it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You wake up the next day and go, I don't know, I guess I slept. And sure. that's how Ambien got away with it, by the way. Right. So Ambien made you unconscious. Like you said earlier, that was it, sleep, sleep yeah, a lack of like, consciousness. So yeah. it dissociated that neocortex so much that people's midbrain, lizard brain, midbrain brainstem, their lizard brain was putting them in their cars, driving down to Vegas, gambling away right. their life savings, picking up hookers, eating all the cupcakes out of the cupboard, whatever. Sure. Like just doing behavior, primal stuff, right? right. Fornicating, fighting, right. fleeing, right? taking risks. Like that's what yeah. the lizard brain does. And so uh, once all the research came out, they knew it. They knew it all along. All it did was dissociate you. You can lay in bed. Well, so by the way, there's people when they went and gambled away their life savings and came back and went to sleep. Some of those people lived in Vegas and they did that in four hours and they came back and they woke up the next morning and thought they slept eight hours. Crazy. Right? And and they've done this with studies where they put somebody in ambient and we have all the electrodes on them when we're watching them. And they lay down, they, maybe they close their eyes, they kind of doze and they get up and then they go go in the kitchen and they make a bunch of food, they play some video games, watch a show, whatever, and they come back and they get back in bed and two hours later they wake up and they look at their clock and they go, it's left eight hours. Mm-hmm. No, you didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even if you just lay in bed, you're just associated. If when we, when we look at your sleep architecture and those sleep studies, it doesn't look like, and like I said, especially the REM for um, for Ambien and benzodiazepines, the same thing, so Valiums and Xanax, they, they behave very similarly for REM and then alcohol um, does that and then uh, does the deep sleep. And um, so marijuana, THC affects both REM and deep. Um, but it makes people's experience of it is like, man, I smell like a rock. Right, I smell right, great. Right. And so that's what Ambien was doing too, right? It's like people thought that they were, you know, and, and on average, people actually only fell asleep uh, 13 minutes sooner mm-hmm. and got a total of 38 minutes more sleep, meaning unconsciousness, mm-hmm. but had such poor quality of sleep that they were losing sleep every night, right? It, like they were they would have been way better off living through their insomnia. Yeah. And in fact, we know that if people who use uh, sleep drugs chronically, which is only, is only defined as six months. So if you take Ambien for six months, um, now I said that was the study design. I assume you have to keep sure. going longer. But people who use sleep drugs throughout their life die on average 14 years younger. Damn. People who work shift work and stay up at night, you know, uh, they die 14 years younger on average, right? So mm-hmm. law enforcement, first responders, all those type of guys. Mm-hmm. That's the way the world works, man. You, yeah. you can't, they, like I said, that's part of the contract and you aren't doing the contract right. And so- All right, add this to the contract. As we wrap it up, I want, 
your quick points, the top things people should do in the evening before going to bed Mm -hmm. to optimize their sleep. And then the best things they should do when they wake up. Do you have like Mm -hmm. a hit list of maybe some things you do or things you've studied on both ends of that sleep cycle? Yep. So I'll, I'll, I'll discuss it as though we're some, we're dealing with some kind of insomnia, whether we're, whether we are not just because it'll, it'll include the non insomnia too. Mm -hmm. But so the, so this is the whole case. Um, the way we evolved, we, right. First of all, we suck as predators without guns and weapons, right? So like we're a weak, soft, slow, (laughs) clawless, fangless animal. Um, and so it makes sense and we don't see, we don't see very well at night and about 80% of our brain is dedicated to vision at some, in some form or fashion. So it's like, we are very visual animal. As soon as the sun goes down, we can't see. Mm-hmm. So what would we do? We go tuck away, right? Mm-hmm. But if you've ever gone camping, and we've studied hunter gatherers, there's still like three hundred thousand people in the in the world that live like hunter gatherers that have never seen electricity, never seen flashlight, yeah. anything. It's crazy. Uh, they spend two hours a day getting their food, and the rest of the day they're just screwing around. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like <laughs> hanging. The original rich, sure. the aristocratic party. people are just yeah, like, yeah. You know. um, and so, uh, so, it, but it takes from the time the sun goes down. This is all of sleep hygiene. It's 100% of sleep hygiene. You can read a million different variations of what to do and why to do it, but this is what it is. The sun goes down, the blue light goes out of your eyes. The, the nerve cells in the back of your eye, they're called ganglion, they sense blue light. They don't have anything to do with vision. So blind people can have normal circadian rhythms, right? Mm-hmm. So blue light goes away, I'm assuming because the sky's blue. We're triggered by that. That, like I said, long circuitous pathway. Eventually melatonin gets released and your brain starts changing chemically and physiologically your neocortex starts slowing down, you quit paying attention to your environment nearly as much, right? You tuck away somewhere safe so that you're decreasing anxiety, you're mm-hmm. getting preyed upon, you're not gonna walk around and fall off a cliff or whatever, so you're gonna go get safe. You're gonna slow your brain down because the chemicals are doing that. Um, and then you don't have HVAC because you're a caveman and so it gets colder and your body temperature drops. That's sleep hygiene. That's 100% sleep hygiene. Mm-hmm. So decrease the blue light, decrease the stress and interaction mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. world, mm-hmm. Um, and then lower the temperature, lower your body temperature. So that's all sleep hygiene. Now, you need to exercise. Mm-hmm. Exercise has all sorts of physiologic benefits. It would take us you know, 17 podcasts to get through half of them, right? Sure. Um, but you need to exercise, and you need to eat reasonably well one of the main reasons that americans don't sleep well uh, is because they're pre-diabetic and they don't know it right mm-hmm. um, and or they're diabetic and they don't control it or they don't know it or whatever so high fluctuation like a like a, a big change in your blood glucose triggers a stress response the only animal on this planet that chooses to sleep deprive itself is us yeah the only time any other animal does that is if they're going through famine so they want to be able to get up earlier, go to bed later, travel farther to get more food, mm-hmm. right? Or if they're being preyed upon, right? right. They're, they they're, they're being stalked. Yeah. So yeah. like they're going to only sleep as much as they have to so they can not get eaten, right? Yeah. So evolutionarily, we probably have that wiring in us too, right? So to some degree, if we're sleep depriving ourselves, our body's convinced that we're being preyed upon or we're about to hit famine and that changes our appetite and how we use our fuel and all sorts of stuff. That'd be a whole different story. But <clears throat> so... 
the sun, if the sun goes down and everything changes in my brain and it takes like those three hours to do that and all my neurochemistry changes and then my blood glucose stays pretty normal and my physiology doesn't interrupt it, then everything's going to go great. If I'm pre-diabetic, peri-diabetic, I'm not exercising, I'm eating like, you know, refined glucose, sugar, syrupy, corn, yeah, yeah. like all this kind of stuff and I have these big fluctuations. So a diabetic can have a blood glucose of 400, which is like four times what it should be, right? And it can drop to 300 really quickly and your brain goes, oh, famine. Yeah. Because it's just the change. Yeah. It doesn't matter the total. It's like, what, how fast did that change? So that'll wake you up, right? So that'll cause insomnia. So if you have any insulin sensitivity issues, don't eat carbs past lunch, I would mm-hmm. say. So mm-hmm. dinner should be just fat and protein. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, or if you're going to have carbs, it's a really slow carb, you know, a cruciferous mm-hmm. vegetable, leafy, green leafy, you know, things mm-hmm. that have a lot of fiber, put a lot of fat in there. It takes a long time to break them down. Um, and, and that will prevent you from getting sleep. Now, the most important part of those is the psychology. So lifestyle, you're going to get some exercise. You're going to try to control your stress during the day and you're going to eat reasonably well. Okay. It's not that hard to eat well, right? Like. You know, I, I, when I work with my clients, I do sleep, nutrition, exercise, and stress mitigation, right? The nutrition is the easiest one, but it's one that everybody's hung up on. There's a million books about it, and there's all these fads. And, all, and it's like, hey, think about 500 years ago. Do that, right? Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, you evolved over millions of years. This body's 200,000 years old. And then the last 200 years, you started putting shit in it that it... Right. Like, and that, right. like just don't do that. Right. Just eat food. Um, and so that's the thing. But... Everybody has stress. That's the way the world works. And especially in our world, stress is a, that's a real deal. It's a big deal. So this is the most powerful thing I do. And I give this away on, on my website. You can download this PDF, but it's literally the most powerful thing I do with the clients that I work with for a year. Mm-hmm. Take a piece of paper, draw a line straight down the line, you know, vertical line right down the middle, cut it you know, to where it's cut in half, to do on the left, to worry on the right. So to-do list, you write everything you have to do, everything you have to do that you would think about. So as far out in the future as you're likely to worry about to-do list. For me, that's only a day. I'm yeah. lucky that way. It's like, I don't care past, you know, I'm, I, I haven't planned my day past this podcast. Like, mm-hmm. that's how cool. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I got to do these two things. Mm-hmm. Some people is like, I'm going to worry about all the stuff I got to get done in the next six weeks before you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whatever it is, however long you'll worry, however long you'll stay concerned, put that. That's the to-do list. On the other side is the to-worry list. The to-worry list is shit that you don't have any control over. Mm. But you don't want to forget to worry about it, right? We just want to worry. We just want to think it. We just want to think it through. We don't have any control over whether or not whoever gets reelected or, sure, sure. or whatever. We yeah. don't have any control, but whatever. I'm, so you I, make this list before bed. So you make this during the day when your during brain's alert and awake and, okay. and, you, and you're not likely to carry a bunch of stress because you made this stressful list yeah, right yeah, before yeah. bed. You're like, shit. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay, so now you have an alarm clock that goes off an hour before you go to bed, mm-hmm. right? That alarm clock is exactly the same as the alarm clock that wakes you up. Exactly, right? They're just as important. Mm-hmm. Just like you don't say, well, I'm just going to sleep another half hour. Mm-hmm. No, because you just screwed up your whole day. You don't say, I'm going to say, but like, I'm, I'm, I'll start getting ready for bed in a half hour. No, the alarm clock goes out an hour an before An hour bed. before. You okay. dim the lights. You get the blue light out of your eyes for sure. You put on blue blocking glasses. You put flux on your computer. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you stop anything that would stimulate you, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not going to work out. You're so that's gonna... one hour before bed. Yeah. You're done with pretty much everything. There's yeah, no TV. Not... There's no food. You there's can, no sugar. No, you can watch TV. You can read. I, it can, like, don't read 
things about murder and the oh, okay. world collapsing, sure, sure. things that are going to stress you out, don't watch that. Don't read that. Okay. Right, so anything settling. If you can do like some yoga, some light stretching, listen to some soft music, yeah. like yeah. that's even better, right? Um, so an hour before bed, you're getting ready for bed. Then you go to bed at the same time every night, mm -hmm. right? Especially if you have insomnia. This is how you do it. Every night you go to bed exactly so. I set my alarm clock at 9. From 9 to 10, I'm getting ready for sleep. Mm -hmm. 10, 10 in bed. 10, I'm in bed. The lights are off, and I don't have a clock anywhere in sight. Mm -hmm. I can't see it. There's an alarm clock that's going to go off somewhere, mm -hmm. but I can't see it. And I'm going to lay in bed until that alarm clock goes off. And if I can't sleep, no big deal. I'm just going to lay there. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do some mm. breathing. I'm going to do some box breathing. I'm going to do some progressive muscle relaxation. I'm going to think about pleasant thoughts. And if I start worrying, I'm going to go, oh, no, no, that's on the list. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to handle that list when the alarm clock oh, goes okay, off. Oh, okay, cool. So, so you're just everything, you put everything from your brain onto a piece of paper yeah. so that you can just have it there. And then when you wake up, you can ingest it again and, and, and return and, to and it. And then if you take in what we just talked about for the last hour, you can say, well, the not only am I going to handle that in the morning, but the best I'm ever going to be at handling that is after I've slept eight hours. Right. right? So I'm right, going to be right. at my peak tomorrow morning so when I start handling. you're telling yourself, okay, so the I ideal, get after it. The ideal thing hours. is to do this. And this eight hours is actually preparing me for that list. Yeah, and this is yeah. like, this is sort of my workout to make me strong enough yeah, to do yeah. this, right? Okay. So that's how you think about it. And so you lay there and if any of those thoughts come in your head, you go, that's on the list. And if it's not on the list, put it on the list. So I want that list right next to your bed. Do you have permission to put on as much light as you need and have a pen right. and like add right. that to your list and then you lay back down and if you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't know what time it is it doesn't matter maybe the alarm hasn't gone off your alarm might so go you might, that's all that you need your to alarm might go off in five minutes so right. just lay there and breathe right and if it goes off in five minutes get up in five minutes if it's not going to go off for four hours and you just lay there and you breathe you're going to fall back to sleep right if you're not worrying, you're like you're gonna fall back. That's great. I'm making a list, dude. Yep, I'm it. making a list. That's the whole, that's this that, was, that right there is the biggest secret. That's like, super cool. That's yeah. It's that's all sleep hygiene and yeah. that's all the psychology you need for sleep. That's killer. It dude. takes a while to convince yourself of that, so you really have to focus on what we said earlier to believe that hey, that that list being psychology. able to handle that list. Yeah. Like that. That takes some mushrooms. Change yeah. your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Where can people find your stuff online? Uh, docparsley.com. D O C short for doctor obviously uh and then parsley like the herb P -A parsley like the P herb p-a-r-s-l-e-y docparsley.com cool and uh this was awesome man this yeah. was a lot of information that i really appreciate because i don't know a lot about it i don't know a lot about much well but I, i'm learning more about this i don't so it's really cool i don't feel like i know that much either so <laughs> I, i've been learning for a long time and right there's on. way more than well it's great that yeah. you you come from this traditional western medica med medicine space and you had that curiosity to keep pushing you i yeah. mean i appreciate it i know everybody out there will too well i think maybe and, something uh, that really helped me was being a terrible student when i was young like yeah. i grew up believing that i was dumb like yeah I, like i didn't try in school because I didn't think I could do well in school anyway. So why embarrass myself? I'm sure. Like, I'm stupid. And that so, sent you on all these other and paths so now, to learn. Now which it's is like, great. Now I learned a bunch of stuff and I tested yeah. and I proved that I could remember, but I don't feel like I know anything still. I still feel like I'm dumb. I'm like, I don't know. That's like, good though, because yeah, then you so, get to keep you yeah, keep so, pushing yourself to learn. So we should all think we're more dumb. If 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 I found out tomorrow that everything I thought was true was wrong, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I would be like, <laughs> Yeah, I get it. I get it, it happens all the time. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, for now you're right, brother, yeah. and I appreciate you being yeah, here, man. I appreciate cool. it. It's been a blast. Yeah. See fun. you everybody. Right. And that's it, man. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode with Dr. Kirk Parsley. You can check out Doc Parsley's Sleep Remedy line of sleep aid supplements at docparsley.com. Parsley like the herb. Uh, Doc Parsley is an incredible man. 
super knowledgeable, and uh, my brain hurt in a good way after this episode. It still hurts a little bit. I feel hungover from all the knowledge that I put inside my body. Um, so check him out, docparsley.com. Check out the podcast at Good Trip Podcast on Instagram. I am at Brent Pella. I repost a bunch of clips there. And you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, also on Spotify and iTunes. Do the whole rating and subscribing thing there. You know how it works. Um, other than that, hey, I love you guys, and uh, I appreciate you guys, and I hope you have a wonderful week. I'll see you next time. Peace.